Okay, I believe we're live. Hi, Evan Handler. Welcome to Game Changers. Hi, Vicki. Nice to see you. Uh, it's wonderful to see you. And thank you so much for doing this because I know that you haven't been feeling uh, your best. I'm, uh, good. I'm good now. It's, I've, I've made a remarkable recovery. Well, that's excellent because I think when I spoke to you last, you were saying that you said it's not COVID. I mean, did you worry that maybe it was? Are there people who get ill now with respiratory infections who don't worry that that's what it is? Absolutely not. I don't need any infection to think that I have it. So, um, yeah, I mean, but I, I have a, a long history of repeated respiratory infections. So it's very familiar and at the same time, because they have a tendency not to go away, uh, uh, I, I can't help but think. But I didn't have a COVID test this time. I did, I did, um, I had one, I guess I had one, couple of weeks ago in Italy um, when when it first when it first you know came upon me um, so uh, anyway not having a COVID test and getting well fairly quickly is is a, a, a fantastic resolution a friend of mine who just signed on uh, was just in the hospital a few days ago and he found out the person he was sharing the room with just tested positive for COVID oh. so, so they're not making him quarantine they're just you know telling him to be very careful I mean um, so what was flying? I, this, I, I have a million questions. I have political, I, I, but I have life questions for you first. What was it like to fly? Um, Especially a long I, flight I, like I, that. I wanted to have another computer set up so I could show you photos of a lot of- Oh, yay. Cause um, I, I can't even conceive of getting, you how long was the flight? The flight from Italy to, to LA, you're on the plane for like a day, for like a half a day, more than a half a day. Of course, I won't have. You're going to see me looking down now, trying to find photographs of things. I have a That's lot of right. I have a lot of photographs of the damage done to our house while we rented it. No. Um, oh. Uh, but I don't have the photo. Oh, here we go. No, that's not it either. Yes. No, wait a minute. Okay. Okay. This was me on one of the flights. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you see, you see the fans. You have these neck. There are neck fans. Oh. You can put on to, to I, blow to blow airflow away from yourself. My ex-husband actually used to have uh, those years ago. He was just paranoid. It's uh, used for menopausal women and, and, and film sets, but I, I use them to, to fly. So we had to take two, two flights there and two flights back. Okay, and what was that? Ex I mean, we didn't okay, so you're someone who has pre-existing- No, we didn't go for recreation. We went, we left, we left for Italy in mid-August. Because? Well, because in late July, uh, COVID rates were skyrocketing in Los Angeles mm -hmm. and had pl had plunged to 200 per day of a, in a nation of 60 million in Italy. Okay, and tell tell they, everybody you were just telling done, me where they had done a three months they had done a three month complete lockdown, but not like not like a not like a, an an American lockdown. I mean, what they did was they made laws that no one could leave their homes without permission or a documented place to go that they needed to be. And there were police on the street sending people home and fining them for being out in public. They threw people off beaches. They kept people off the streets. You were not allowed to travel from town to town or region to region. They did everything right. And we went there because we thought we want to, we're, we're citizens of Italy. My wife is from there. Right. Uh, our daughter, they were planning to open schools in Los Angeles in spite of really, really rising right. COVID rates. We said, mm -hmm. we're not sending her to school in person. Mm -hmm. We don't want to pay private school rates to have her go to school on Zoom. 
Right. Legally, she can go to school safely in a classroom where there's almost no COVID. And we can possibly, depending on how things develop, have a kind of like life in existence in a nation that has demonstrated its willingness to do what's necessary to contain it. Okay, now Evan, for, the, for three months they had this lockdown. Mm -hmm. When they, okay, tell us, tell everybody exactly where you were in Italy, the, the town that you were in. Well, the region is Emilia Romagna. Mm -hmm. A normal summer in Italy for my family, mostly my wife and daughter, is to go to the small seaside town called Lido de Savio, mm -hmm. which is where my wife spent her summers ever since she was a child. And so now my daughter has as well. It's not anything that most people think of about Italy. It I spent time there. Kind of like, um, you know, um, decaying. It's like, <laughs> it's like the old decaying beachfront Miami Beach when all the buildings were from the 60s and 70s, but kind of dirty, not very well repaired. Mm -hmm. And and it's families. It's not it's not like, you know, wealthy people flooding the beaches. And, and there's there's no free beach. There's only... Uh, uh, colored umbrellas and chairs. Wow! You can see because uh -huh. they belong to each what's called a bagno, each little each little bar restaurant, and uh -huh. you have to pay or subscribe to sit in the chair and umbrella. There's a little strip every kilometer or two of mm -hmm. free beach, which is just where there's a lot of rocks and broken glass where people can put down a towel if they want to. But it's just Lovely. not how it's not how Italian summer recreation is done. There are also you know little trampolines and plastic climbing structures for the kids. There's um, ping pong tables and, and everybody belongs to one of these uh, banos. Right. And spends all day on the beach getting as darkly tanned as they possibly can. <laughs> My daughter plays with kids who have never had sunblock on their body. Wow. And their parents just lie in the sun with those little devices or whatever else. Oh, come on. They still use sun reflectors? They, they, I, I, think, I think they'd use magnifying glasses <laughs> if they would get their hands on them. This is this is like it's, it's it's as if they go back to work at the end of the summer and they this is their status or or whatever but this is right this is how they conduct themselves in the summer. So did you go get to go there at all this summer or was there none of that this? The plan was that we had to cancel all that and we were just going to stay home all summer because traveling was ill advised. Right. And we decided we were actually going to escape the United States and mm -hmm. part of the interest for me also was to escape the election cycle. And, and, and get out of here. And we made plans. We, we packed up our house and put it in our garage and we left for what was gonna be a year. We said, we're going, we're gonna spend the last couple of weeks on the beach in Italy. We, we had, there's a mandatory two week quarantine, meaning you do not leave the apartment you're in. It's illegal to leave the apartment. You can get a significant fine for doing that. Okay, so wait a minute, Evan, how do they, how do they control, how do they, how do they manage that? How do they, do they actually, do they come up, do they check you? Do they check your door? Do they, they follow you? Are they watching you? Each region handles things differently. Mm -hmm. There's what's supposed to be and there's what is, okay? So there's a declaration you have to make upon arriving. Nobody took our declaration. Okay. The only thing that happened at the Bologna airport upon arrival was they pointed one of those, you know, distant thermometers at you and let you go. So we okay. could have vanished into Italy and not done anything. Okay. But the law is you have to report to ASLA, ASLA, A-S-L, um, and let them know you're there. Mm -hmm. And then, depending on the region, they're going to either uh, come and test you. They're going to test you when your 14 days are up. Mm -hmm. uh, 
probably had to travel to them in the city of Ravenna to be tested. Mm -hmm. And we said, we're, you know, we're not, we're, we're not going into the city. You know, there's still COVID's around, you know. We told them we didn't right. have a car. We're not going anywhere. So they sent, they sent a nurse to test us about five days after we'd arrived and the day before our 14 days were up. Um, there are people who get checked up on by the police. That didn't happen with us. Mm -hmm. There are people who've gotten fined because neighbors saw them leave the apartment or the house and reported them. <laughs> but this is why we went. I wanted this. Right. I well, by the way, Evan, serious like that. the people that watch this show now, I've been doing this every day since we went into quarantine, are, we're called the COVID crazies because we are all like you. We are I haven't left. I hadn't left my house in seven months. Well, I had no one came in. Realized that we were the COVID crazies there too. <laughs> so start venturing out after fourteen days. We went uh, down to the beach mm -hmm. where all the kids are running around in packs of ten, jumping on each other, doing whatever they want. The style to wear the masks is either below the nose or below the chin, oh. including all the restaurants that were open serving food to people. You know, master on chin by the servers. Been people making pizza in the kitchen with no masks at all. Now, meanwhile, any shop that you go into, any counter that you go to to buy a coffee, they're limiting either two or four people in at a time. People are waiting on lines outside. Everybody right. has their mask up when they enter. So it's this weird thing of people, people like really, really behaving and doing what's necessary in certain surroundings and then completely not in other surroundings. And if you, and so we had our, when I first saw this, I said to my wife and daughter, I said, this can't be, you know, she can't go running around with 10 kids. And, 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 and that's not why we came here. We came here to escape, right. you know, the danger. Right. So she became the one kid on the beach wearing a mask. And then it was like, why are you wearing that mask? It doesn't help you anyway. It doesn't protect you from anything. You know, wh how do, why do you think you can get COVID from me? Uh, you know me. How could you get COVID from me? You know me. That was the most common response we hear. But also, wow. I feel fine. I don't have COVID. I feel fine. Like no knowledge that people can be asymptomatic. Right. Well, before we got to the school, where wait, let me just interrupt you for one second. How much after the three-month lockdown did you guys arrive? How, how much time was there in between? Approximately. Um, at least a couple or a few months. I'm not sure exactly. But the numbers were still way down in Italy when you arrived. You want me to ask my wife? Do you want me to yeah. call Elisa? Yeah, I, I'd love to meet her if she wants to come talk to us. And, um, you're welcome to come on screen if you want. Yes, I would love that. I would love to meet you. Wow, hey, she's going to come. Hey, I've been hearing hey. about you for so long, and you're so beautiful, and it's so lovely to meet you. Hi. Do you want to say hi, hi. to Hey, my daughter's coming too. Oh, come on, Sophia, come say hello. Hi, that's so wonderful. It's lovely to meet you both. Uh, she loves your hair, my I wife says. I love your hair. You. You, looks you look beautiful. Thank you so much. How long after the lockdown ended did we arrive in Italy? Ooh. Mm. Did it stop in? Did, you know? I think it stopped in uh, like uh, at the end of April, maybe. End of April, so May, June, July, about three months after their three month lockdown. And were the numbers still good when you guys got there? They must have been because you wouldn't have gone otherwise, right? That's right. They were very good. But within, with it, between deciding to go and arriving, right. the daily rate of new diagnoses in Italy had gone from 200 a day to 400 a day. Okay, but that's out of a nation of 60 million. That's still low, 400 a day. It was still so far below LA County, it was unbelievable.
Right. So the towns that we consider then setting up shop and living in, mm-hmm. you know, there were like literally per day, it was sort of like 0.4 new diagnoses per day. Wow. Okay. And now those same towns are somewhere between 25 and 50 diagnoses per day. But I should say between when we when we left, I mean, I have all these notes because I was looking to see where where should we look for an apartment? Where should we go? So 0.2, 0.4 per day. That's that's nothing, you know, and, right. and per, per 100,000, I should say. So 0.2 per 100,000. That's how okay. mostly it's done, you know. In Los Angeles right now, you have something like um, 10, like 12 to 15 new diagnoses per day per 100,000. Okay. And how many, how many? 10 per 100,000 per day is when they start to consider contact tracing difficult to accomplish, if not impossible anymore. So it sounds low, but it's actually getting into what's considered quite a treacherous range. Right. So when we get there, it had gone from 0.2 to 2. So we're talking about, uh, you know, 10 times as much within a couple of weeks of deciding to go and going. Right. And you've, re- and you've rented your house in LA at this point. And then, and then in the two and a half months before getting home, it, it, it had gone, it had gone like today I looked and Bologna is 25 per 100,000 per day. Arezzo, where we had originally thought to go in Tuscany because it was so much lower, is 50 per 100,000 per day. And, and Italy has now locked down six regions again. They have. Yep. Can't, Are they can't. doing it with the same severity that they did the first time? No, it's not that people can't leave their homes. Mm-hmm. It's that people can't travel in and out of that region or in and out of their particular town without mm-hmm. permission or for work or for some kind of documented reason. Uh, they're restricting travel. So we are they we, still doing public school in, right. in those places? Well, they went from um, we're jumping a little ahead when we yeah three days before school started. Okay, the national decree was updated to say that it's now been decided that children children in junior high school will not have to wear masks in class, only to enter the building and exit the building and whenever they stand up from their desks, which are, which are placed at a safe distance of one meter apart, measured mouth to mouth. Now oh. think about it. If you measure from my mouth to another mouth one meter away, first of all, one meter is three feet, three inches. Yes. It means our shoulders are about 10 inches away from each other. You're standing as, you're you're as close as you might be in any normal social situation. Wow. Without any distancing. Wow. 25 kids and a teacher in a room, not leaving the room for six hours. Eating, snacking. Talking. Screaming. Yeah. um, And so it was absurd. And we thought it was absurd. Right. And we became extremely uncomfortable. And we told our daughter, well, you need to wear your mask all day in school and our other kids, a few. And then the teacher started to mock and scold the kids who wore a mask during the school day, telling them, I'm not going to have my students looking like a bunch of bandits. You take that mask down or take that mask down when you speak to me. You can keep it on the rest of the time. But whenever you talk, you take it down, which is the opposite of what should happen, obviously. Absolutely. Um, uh, so it was insane and the level of you know we went to that nation because of what they had demonstrated but you see that locally i mean i call i call my wife's region of italy iowa italy anyway you know (laughs) just because it's like dead flat farmland and industry it's nothing like the the quaint rolling hills of tuscany that people think of you know it's it's really like 
um, uh, they're beautiful, beautiful farm fields, but it's, it's relentless. It's like driving the Great Plains. It's monotonous. It doesn't change. And there are hulking, decaying buildings and, you know, really large factories and industrial areas that also look like they are, are, were, were, were built in a, in a, in a bygone era. Um, and a lot of detritus, you know, as you pass through towns on the roads and, and it's just a real, you know, working class view of a, of a side of Italy that most people don't see. It doesn't right. mean Italy's not beautiful and gorgeous. It means there's a lot of life behind that uh, 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 screen. So what you also see is that the mentality of some of the people and the teachers, mm. I don't mean to insult Iowa, maybe I'm talking about Nebraska <laughs> or Montana or only certain towns in those states. Uh, but what you see is people who, um, who don't know how it's spread, who don't know that it can be asymptomatic, who won't be told to wear a mask, who don't want others to wear a mask in their presence. And you start to see, and so we only- Basically Trump voters. Yeah, I mean, look, these are people who supported Berlusconi. They're people who 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 supported uh, Il Duce. You know, um, I mean, when I've gone to uh, gatherings with my uh, wife's parents, you know, with some of their old friends, mm -hmm. the later the evening goes, the more sort of Germanic the music that they're dancing <laughs> becomes. And I think, you know, how many of these were sympathizers? How many of these were resistors? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a little scary. Yeah. Um, so we pulled our daughter out of school. Mm -hmm. and said well we can't continue with this you know this is and and about two days later they had their first case in the school oh, uh, wow. surprise, surprise and and we left italy about a week or two later and now um they've closed the high schools they're talking about closing the junior high schools mm -hmm. um you know they just really should have mm -hmm. uh set up as they had earlier should have set up split schedules for half the kids per day with mm -hmm. online learning for half the other kids each other, every other day or total online learning. They didn't do it. You know, what you see is it's a whole world, not a whole world. Sorry, there's some nations that, that, are, that doesn't fall, but there, there are many, many worlds mm -hmm. of cowardly half measures uh, designed mostly because people can't think of what else to do don't want to press themselves too hard to think of what else to do or don't want to come up against the resistance mm -hmm. for what really needs to happen. And so you get these bumbling half measures that only lead to reversals later and that don't really help anybody because people are too frightened to say, everybody has to stay home and the government has to pay you money to live. So now, Evan, what do you do as somebody who just rented your house, put all your stuff in the ground? How did you get your house back? And I'm imagining this was not an easy decision to move transcontinentally again. No, neither was an easy decision. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't make the first one lightly. We right. were terrified about the travel. I mean, I kind of was light, lighthearted about it, but we were really, really scared of it. Yes. Um, how, how, how terrifying was the experience? It's, I, I, I'm mortified at the thought. Well, listen, you know, we did this and were able to do this because we're privileged enough to have the means to do it. Right. Okay? You know, I'm talking to you from a 2,200 square foot house in, mm -hmm. in, in, a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a non, um, um, uh, 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 I'm just blanking on a word in a, in a, in a, in a, in a not hugely impressive neighborhood of Los Angeles. Okay. You know, I don't live in Bel Air or, or North of Montana in Santa Monica. I don't live in Santa Monica at all. You know, right. I live, I live, 
I live 5,000 feet from LAX airport. So, okay. you know, it's not, uh, I have a very nice house. It's yeah. a beautiful life, but it, 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 it is, it is not, um, we don't live in a mansion and we don't live in an exclusive neighborhood of Los Angeles. Gotcha. I am lucky in that, you know, I, I, I say that because I think people have a distorted view of anybody who's been on a television show lives a life of, you know, uh, exalted uh, yeah. uh, privilege. But yeah. I live enough of a privileged life that I can afford to ride out so far uh, a, a pandemic without saying, you know, I have to go, uh, you know, start working a job immediately in some other field. Right. And where if we feel it's urgent to leave the country, we can say, okay, you know what, for the first time in our lives, we're going to buy three first class tickets because Air France has a cabin on their flights, which only has four seats. Really? So we can be three of the four people inhabiting this cabin and on the airplane. Wow. And if somebody doesn't buy the fourth ticket, which they didn't, it'll be just us. There's wow. a whole plane load of people behind us, but right. it's as if we were on a private plane to us wow. for, those, for those 11 hours. Now, mm -hmm. the shorter flight of two hours, you don't have that. Right. I had the fans and the, 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 whole, the whole thing. But for, for 11 hours, and we're wearing masks the whole flight. The crew is wearing masks. But yes, we bought ourselves, you know, I don't want to... I, I, I'm, I'm just, you know, I want to be honest with people. We did it in a way that made us feel safe, that cost us more than we'd ever spent on airline tickets and would never do under ordinary circumstances. Right. Um, How, I mean, just using the bath, I mean, we, we talk about this. I mean, I haven't used a public bathroom in eight months. I mean, just the thought of- the restroom now, Vicki? Is it-, is it <laughs> It sounds, it sounds like you've been holding it in for a long time. I don't leave my house, Evan. I mean, I have left my house so so little that I can't even tell you. But um, but seriously, though, I mean, all of these things are a concern. And you, I don't know if people out there know, but you have a particular reason to have concern because you had very grave illness earlier in your life. Uh, we'll touch on that. I, I don't know if we should go to that now. But I mean, you have very you had a very serious pre-existing situation. Yeah. Well, look, we did it. We were driven to it by seeing a nation that is not doing anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and we thought, well, you know, if we have the means and we have a place to live over there, where it seems at the moment much, much, much safer, and where they've demonstrated a will to do the right things, let's go there. Um, the one thing that we didn't anticipate, I think, was you know, we kind of made it in our minds, we thought, well, if things go bad again there, mm -hmm. it's not like we didn't think it could, but if right. they do, we can ride out a lockdown there, you know, but as right. that came to seem like, oh, that might happen here, we, we underestimated the, the, the lack of desirability for us to be there in a borrowed apartment in this small town. Um, we thought, you know what, if things are gonna get bad again, we have a really nice house. It mm -hmm. has a yard. Mm -hmm. We don't have to leave that property. We don't have to have anybody to come on that property. We mm -hmm. can go back to that life. Mm -hmm. Our daughter can go to school online. Um, and when we saw how bad the schooling was, I mean, besides the masks, the schooling was a bit of a joke. You know, that my daughter, my daughter had to take English. Yeah. In Italy, she had to take English. Right. Where they, where they, where they told her that she must never say a lot. Never use the phrase a lot. You have to say, I have many friends or I have much friends. 
Right? She would come home with these stories every day, you know. And then, and then, and then, you know, Italy has this system of assigning teachers at the beginning of every school year. But some, and they have to, and then, and then those teachers have to shift and travel throughout the nation to find their new home. And it has seniority. If you have seniority, oh. you get to choose close to your home. But if you don't have seniority yet, you have to travel far from your home. Oh. And, and so for for months at the beginning of school years they have substitute teachers until the the real teacher comes and so the, my daughter came home every day and she had never seen she said kids just screamed all through class and then they threw pencils and books out the windows and the teacher doesn't know what to do about it she'd never seen this kind of stuff before wow she was fascinated by <laughs> by, by misbehavior of these public schools she said my school is so much more she, my, sister, my, my, my daughter goes to this very progressive low-key Los Angeles private school, right? In eighth grade, and huh? she said, "My school is so much more strict. They would never let anybody do that. As soon as you make noise, you're told to go stand in the hall." So she saw these things that she was fascinated by, um, but it didn't seem like she was going to be missing out on a, like a, an amazing year of uh, uh, academic education. It was certainly going to be a year of 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 interesting, you know, seeing what the other kids are doing, seeing these kind of um, not ter terribly sophisticated teachers telling her say, to say, I have much friends um, <laughs> uh, uh, who insisted themselves that, you know, uh, uh, you can't get COVID as long as, you know, you know the person or, or, or everybody feels okay. Um, this is just, all right, well, Evan, I have a related question because I haven't had a parent with a, with a, a child in school currently on, today i feel very blessed that my kids are grown and i'm not having to go through this with them i can only imagine how difficult it was to have your daughter be locked down at the beginning of all of this and to not be able to be with friends and now i i mean when has that changed so for sophia was it the school thing was all weird, but was there, there must have been some joy in being around other kids and not being alone i've seen the other kids um, she loved the new group of kids. They embraced her really quickly. Mm. Now, you know, I can't really emphasize enough the the, the small town nature of this. Mm -hmm. She started to get taken around by some kids, you know. Look, we live in Los Angeles. My daughter, you know, at 12 years old, she's 13 mm. now, but at 12 years old when we were here, you know, she doesn't, my daughter doesn't walk around town by herself. Right, of course. There is no town where we live. Right. Uh, we live in a residential area of Los Angeles, but... Um, there she was hanging out with groups of kids and walking around town and, you know, no adult supervision. She's going and hanging out and, and walking to and from school with other kids. And she's never had that experience of independence right. in her right. life before. So of course she wanted to keep that. She was, she was thrilled by that. And these kids are all embracing her because they don't know anything about Los Angeles to mm -hmm. them. Anybody who lives in Los Angeles, I mean, her father happens to be an actor but to them, everybody in Los Angeles has to be a movie star, <laughs> has to live in a mansion. Uh, uh, so when she would say, hi, I'm Sophia, they'd say, I know you, who you are. You're, you're that girl from America. Like everybody knew, everybody knew we were there the right. second we landed. Everybody knew who we were and that we had arrived. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so she was that girl, which also, you know, had to be seductive to her because absolutely you know she doesn't she doesn't she doesn't have that kind of status at the school she goes to she's you know she's who she is um so, so how about so coming back though and then going back to now being online and not having kids i mean that has to be a really 
tough transition back for her, I would think. It is, and we're more strict than many other families. I mean, other, from what I gather, you know, from, from her friends, um, they are, you know, they're hanging out together. They're hanging out together in Uh-oh, we lost your audio, Evan. Oh, come back, Evan. We'll do something. We're not, we're not going to keep our kid totally isolated. So we've told her, well, you, you're going to be able to have whoever you want over, like for, to visit outside. Right. Wearing masks. Okay. You, know, you guys can hang out in the yard wearing masks. That's, that's what you're going to be able to do here. You know, and, and yeah, if it's, you, can, you can go to an outdoor mall when it's not crowded wearing masks with your friends. Um, but you're not going to be, you know, climbing over each other. You're not going to be indoors. You're not going to be, um, I mean, we had people like, you know, drop their kid off for a visit and say, listen, we have been very careful. You can rest easy. The only, the only things we have done or that she has seen is that we took two vacations this summer, we shared <laughs> two houses with other families. We had three sleepovers at our house, two sleepovers at there. And we're like, oh my God. Like they're telling us how little they've done. And to us, it's like insanity. Oh my God. I can't. Now, I, I can't. have no idea, as I'm saying all this, I don't know who gets COVID. I don't know if you get COVID because you obviously do stupid things. Or I don't know if you get COVID because you just happen to be an unlucky sap who wound up next to somebody else who was infected, no matter how careful you were. So, um, but I don't know any other way to be other than uh, my responsibility to myself and my family and the community is I'm going to limit my activities. I'm going to limit our interactions. I'm going to do as little as possible. Okay. So wait, Evan, do you, do you guys go to the store? Do you go to the grocery store? Cause I haven't been to a store since March. Do you go to the store? Um, um, I, 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 well, Italy and here are different, you know, okay. we were shopping and doing everything in the store. Um, but here, uh, I, I have been to the store since March, but I mostly have food delivered. Right. Okay. Um, my wife has been to the store a couple of times since we got back. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think if the food delivery is available, why not do the food delivery? So um, what, what does your life look like here in LA? Like It's not verboten. Yeah. Uh, so do you venture outside? The, do you, do you venture outside the compound? I mean, What's life like now that you're back? Yeah, my, my feeling about it has changed a lot. And some of it has changed mm -hmm. as a result of this trip, too. Mm -hmm. um, well, also just time and seeing what the nature of, of, the, of the virus is. I mean, I, don't, I, I no longer, I used, to, I used to really recoil from walking the neighborhood and having people pass anywhere near me. Yes. I, I feel like outdoors, I'm okay. If I'm wearing a mask, I'm outdoors, you know, I... I, I I don't get close to people. I don't sit and speak to people like this. Mm -hmm. I keep my distance, but I feel like there's no problem in me walking around outside. There's mm -hmm. no problem if my kid wants to go to the beach. Mm -hmm. What I think is weird is when people are on five you know, blankets all close together at the beach sitting and visiting. But if you want to right. take a walk outside, I don't, I don't have any problem with that. I don't see it as a risky behavior. Mm -hmm. um, I, I didn't do it for the first Five I started speed walking with one of the one of the COVID crazies. She's in New York. We talk on the phone, and it was the first time I went around in my neighborhood. But it took me months to feel comfortable to do that. Months. You know, in Italy they have red clay tennis courts, which I hadn't played on since I was a kid. Uh -huh. so I took one lesson on a red clay tennis court. But then, when as soon as the colder weather comes, they put a like a, uh, an inflatable bubble dome over it. 
So yeah. it's like playing indoors. And I right. took one additional lesson with the teacher that way. And I, th I was like a little, I mean, I made sure I was the first lesson of the day because I didn't want to be there after six people had played. It, you know, it requires constant air coming in and out. Otherwise it won't stay in the right. But when the guy would want to come to the net and talk to me about, you know, do this, do that, I, I was, so I'm, 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 I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm quite careful without being um, uh, really super rigorously careful, if that makes any sense. It does. I, you know, like I, I have like four doctor's appointments coming. When I go to the doctor, I get first appointment of the day. I try to make it on a Monday, yeah. you know, all yeah. that's the way I do everything. If I go to the doctor, I, you know, I wear a mask and a shield. I, I, yes. we got, we got that's yeah, I'm not eager to go to supermarkets anymore. I did once just before going away, mm -hmm. uh, just to be out, just to do whatever. I thought, well, it's, you know, you wear a mask, you wear the shield, you're okay. And I thought, you know, I just had contact with probably 150 people. Like, why? It just wow. Why? Yeah. Just being in the supermarket for 40 minutes. That's you know. So, um, so. Everybody, by the way, on the thread is saying he's one of us. He's what all the COVID crazies are saying. He's one of us. Oh, I didn't know you had live comments going on. Oh yeah, I have, I'm, I'm looking at the live comments. Somebody said something about Italy I wanted to read to you. My mom and brother are in Italy. The Mascher, how do you say mask in Italy? The Mascherina is, is mandatory or you are fined 400 to a thousand euro. Schools are closed once more. Restaurants and bars now must be closed by 6 p.m. Yeah. I get that the mascarine are mandatory. I get it. And most people wear them. Uh, there are huge numbers wearing them below their noses. There's a good number wearing them below their chins. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not universally adhered to. They may be getting more strict about it now as they mm -hmm. should. I mean, the fact is what we went there for, they are doing, I mean, look, they became, during the time that we were there, mm -hmm. our original reason for going there was because of how careful they had been. And then they stop being careful as soon as you got there. And now they're putting it back into place. So, you know, I'm not personally a fan of this, like, pendulum swing mm -hmm. of one way or the other. I, I think people should be more, you know, strict and vigilant about it on a consistent basis. I think mm -hmm. governments should be um, providing for people so that they can do this. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, most people, I, I'm an actor, so I'm used to being out of work perhaps for six months. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I have, you know, budgeted my life to accommodate for this. Um, but, but most people need to earn a living or have some kind of income. It's unforgivable that the United States doesn't do this. Um, yeah. Wait, Evan, that's a provocative question. I know a lot of people in the business have gone back to work. Um, would you consider doing that now? Uh, I sure didn't think I would this soon. Um, while in Italy, I saw mm -hmm. that Liev Schreiber, who mm -hmm. I had done the film Ransom with many mm -hmm. years ago now, uh, was, 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 I saw some news story that he's in Venice, uh, two hours away from where we were about to make a movie. So I just wanted to say, Hey, really, I, you know, I said, Hey, you know, we're, we're two hours apart, you know, how's things, do you, do you need any short guys on your movie? <laughs> uh, I was making a joke, but he, he immediately responded and said, well, there's actually one scene at the beginning of the movie. It's like a six page scene and I'm gonna, I'll am i tell the producer and the director and, and you know, in, in a matter of 48 hours, they were like, yeah, come, come join us, join us. And I thought, you know, this is a dream of mine to work in Europe. Wow. Uh, film in Venice, Italy with, with Liev, Liev. Oh. Carlo Giannini and I mean, oh this is like, you know, you know with, a, with a terrific young female director, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna know her name now. 
Um, this was based on a Hemingway uh, novel. Mm -hmm. This is amazing. But it was really just as we were deciding we need to get out of here. Mm. When the date for the workday came, it meant we would have had to stay for at least two, but probably three to four more weeks just to do mm -hmm. that day. And I wound up telling them no and getting out of there. And, you know, I, I don't know how they're, I, I wish them well. I don't know how they're going to be. They're supposed to start shooting in another five days or so from now. Mm -hmm. So, what's uh, going on? How is Venice? Is I would think Venice is crazy. Everybody's on top of each other in Venice. I can't imagine that. Yeah, but they it's have not no COVID. cruise. They have no cruise ships. Venice, when we left, mm -hmm. because I was looking at this because I was thinking because we really considered: do we stay an extra three or four weeks? So right. I uh huh. Um, I'm very glad we decided not to. Mm. Uh, Venice was one of the better places in Italy when we left. Okay, that's interesting. There's been significantly like almost every place since. Um, so uh, now I know a lot of people are working in LA. Would I go to work in LA right now? Mm -hmm. I guess, well, you know, if you had asked me two and a half months ago, I would have said, no bloody way. Mm -hmm. um, now I guess I would think about it and, and try to really investigate what, what, what protocols are they taking? How seriously are they adhering to them? what's required of me. So I guess I would not any longer rule it out necessarily completely. But you know, of all the places in the United States, although mm -hmm. Los Angeles is not good or great by any means, mm -hmm. California and Los Angeles have done a pretty good job mm -hmm. of maintaining a steady, not terribly good level <laughs> of COVID. Yeah. Um, it's not, but it's not horrible like it is in the middle of the country right now. What I've been hearing about uh, the sets of that my friends are working on is that the actors are very well protected. You know, that you have your own mask and shield wrangler who follows you around and makes sure that every time you're not on, you know, speaking on camera, you're completely protected and no one gets near you. But the crew are not being protected the same way. And so a friend of mine who's on, my son's friend is works on a set as a PA and the director was exposed. They shut down the set for a day. Now everybody comes, back. you know, it's it's on and off crazy uh, making COVID. I mean, when this started and became really apparent to us here, let's say around, I don't know, was it was it, it was around March or so when we thought, yeah. okay, this is really a thing. Yeah, um, beginning of March. I mean, I pretty much, I mean, I said to myself then, I said, it's going to be at least a year and quite possibly two before I work on a set again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, can you do it have so Evan, you're a very creative and prolific person. Have you been working through have you been writing? Have you because I have not been writing at all. I have not used that time to be productive that way at all. I can't focus. I do this, I do the shows all the time. But so how have you been filling what have you been doing with your time? Um I, I, uh, I, I laughed before because I don't think my wife views me as prolific. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't view myself as pro prolific. Uh, I, I have not been working and producing stuff during this pandemic, no. Yeah. Um, I, I have really not been terribly productive um, since election day 2016. 
Um, although I'm very happy, you know, that I had a season on power and did some terrific projects along the way that were given to. It's not like I've hidden and haven't done work. I've done. Some you did Posse Verdon since then, yeah? yeah, yeah, yeah. I did that really simultaneously with power. I was commuting to and from New York. Um, mm -hmm. But no, I, you know, I've been in a in a, in a somewhat depressive state. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, this I is a perfect segue because we got to go here. Writing along the way, where I was proposing a book about Italy, but it was before the pandemic. It was a book about my relationship to Italy as an as a citizen who really is a stranger. So, wow. so uh, originally, I wanted the title of the book to be Cittadino Straniero, Citizen Stranger, um, and about a guy who has never lived there, doesn't speak the language, but is seeing a side of it that Americans never see. Wow. And 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 sort of you know, reflecting on both Italy, but also Americans and how the way, what they project onto Italy and think about Italy kind of says a lot about their denial as American citizens and the way they view themselves because they're seeing such a romanticized, unrealistic version of Italy. I was going to say, before we went on the air, I was saying how in Italy, all the food tastes like food and semolina is like semolina. And you were saying, no, the bread is like... No, like my impression. I mean, I've been there and I've had that experience. Good food you can have in Italy. Yes. It's as difficult to locate as it is anywhere else. Wow. A lot of people go to Italy and think they've had the most incredible stuff and you can't get a bad meal and they must be eating a lot of garbage and thinking it's good. Because, <laughs> because I've been going to Italy for 18 years now, you know, with my wife as a native and, and going to some of the best places and also trying all kinds of places and and there's, there's, there's all kinds of crap there. There's a lot of things that are true. I mean, the, the average food, like if you walk into a train station and need a snack or a sandwich, you're going to get something much better. You know, right. on the beach, you're not relegated to like, you know, disgusting, weird nachos and, and prefabricated <laughs> hot dogs and hamburgers. You can get much better stuff. But, right. but if you also have a kind of, you know, I'm, I'm also used to eating granola and multi-grain breads with seeds in it and you know you have to go to specialty health food stores for that stuff in Italy and wow. it makes you feel like you're in 1964 San Francisco or something it's it's like a really crude <laughs> dense brick version of, of that it's not like what we've come to expect right uh, and and you also are very much confined to what they have in that region in that town there's none of this international access to international food and variety. And look, I, I come from New York and Los Angeles, so I'm used to be a, being able to- Get anything anywhere. You know, dial up incredible mm -hmm. Korean Thai food or, 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 or you know, Japanese, whatever, whatever I want, basically. Mm -hmm. So being there, it's a, it's a much more constrained experience. Right. Um, and you really, you know, you have to be happy with the local specialties. And if you want good quality ones, you have to be just as discerning about where you shop for it as, as, as anywhere else, even if the general supermarket quality is better than, than here. That's really fascinating. You, you, you touched on something and now I have to dive in there because I know everybody's, I, I'm imagining uh, that everybody is kind of sitting in wait for us to, to talk about what's going on. I know, but we, but, but the COVID stuff, you, you, you're I didn't talking. I this was going to be live. I, I thought you were going to like edit this down. Later. Oh no, we're, we're live. We're, we're just, this is, it's going out just as we do. I, you know, I know why you think that because the last time it was a podcast, it was a radio show, a podcast, and it was edited. Um, Although you know, before we started, you said we talked a lot. We talked for a really long time last time, and I thought, oh, I guess we just talk, and then she cuts it down. 
No, we, we just talk and everybody stays and listens is what ends up happening. So uh, what else are they gonna do? I mean, uh, how much can we watch this? How, until something changes, until they put up a new state, I don't wanna look. Uh, and the Senate is just, oh, it's now 48, 47 though. We, we gained a seat. Um, but okay, so. And then yesterday for the first time in, in eons, I, I don't do that anymore. I don't watch any, I don't watch any television news at all. Really? No. Through this whole election process, you haven't been? For years, I haven't. Okay, so let, let's talk about it because in 2016, I sat down with you the day after the election and- Which I have no memory of whatsoever. I told you that already, but I, <laughs> I didn't know that I was with you the day after election day. I'm really surprised. I, I think that probably would have been the last thing I wanted to do. Well, we had scheduled it before. We had scheduled it thinking that we were gonna be celebrating the first woman president in America. Well, that's that's probably exactly. I really did think that. Yes, I did. Yes. I mean, we, I mean, we we all did. I mean, that's that's what I went. My daughter voted in her first election, sure that she was voting for the first. And to skip ahead a couple of questions, I was convinced yesterday, mm -hmm. not convinced, but I was I was really really hopeful and bordering on confident that we were going to have an overwhelmingly large repudiation. Mm -hmm of the last four years. And so how, I think it's been shocking to most of us how much of the country is homophobic, racist, misogynistic. It's very disheartening to me. I can't even fathom how many people went in there and pulled that. Anyone who supports enables or simply accepts mm -hmm. anything that's occurred over the last four years mm -hmm. or even more than four years mm -hmm. since Reagan, I go back that far mm -hmm. uh, with the whole you know conservative movement. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I wouldn't say what you just said. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're all homophobic, racist, whatever. They may be people who are comfortable accepting that and accepting a leader that is, but uh, uh, I, 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 I I don't necessarily believe that that's what everyone who votes for him is. No, I, I actually think it all comes down to money, Frank. I do think, I do think, um, I do think there's something curdled at their core that allows them to do it. But I'm not sure in every case it's that specifically labelable. I think it's it's it, I, for the people that I know. I think it's a primarily financial decision. I everyone I know that has pulled a lever for him is somebody that only that puts money before humanity, and is much more concerned with finance than humanity. And, um, and so they've done that much better, I guess. Yeah, it's not that they've done that much better, but they they uh, this whole. I I if I talk about the person I'm going to talk about, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. But like my mother calls herself an independent. An independent votes Republican. They vote Republican because they're going to pay less taxes. There's going to be less social money given out for social services. All of that stuff. It's all about that stuff, and um, it's it's quite sickening to me. But um, but the last time we were together, that's, that's your mother. My mother is an independent, and yes, she has voted. Yeah, I can't. Um, you know, and she's and she's a smart woman. It's and she believes in and she and I said, well, what about Roe v. Wade? 
oh, they won't overturn it. It wasn't in the constitution. What, you know, they all, they, they have the same rhetoric. If you talk to anybody who, who votes that way, the rhetoric is all the same from the top to the bottom. It's, it's, it's maddening to me. But Evan, I wanted to talk about what, what amazed me after the last election was from the very first day, you prophesized, and I listened to quite a bit of it today, pretty much everything that came to pass. You said the clocks are going to roll back to pre-60s, that you, you saw the whole Black Lives Matter thing that was gonna happen. You, you saw it, you said this is going to impact us for generations, and I didn't understand the magnitude of it then. I didn't realize that you, I thought you were a doomsayer, but pretty much everything you suspected has come to pass. And for somebody like you who, I think we should talk a little bit about what your health situation and what happened to you when you were in your 20s and how, uh, how the Affordable Care Act would impact someone like you and change your life from this moment forward. Um, well, I mean, I can speak uh, with tremendous authority about my own health history. Yeah, I can't let's speak do that. with great authority about the Affordable Care Act. I don't, I don't participate in it. Right. Uh, union supplied health insurance, mm -hmm. or I did. I won't anymore because uh, SAG uh, changed the coverage rules during the pandemic, and I don't plan to be working anytime soon. And residual income, no matter how high it is, ages out over time. It no longer qualifies you for uh, uh, health insurance coverage. So I'll be losing my health insurance coverage through SAG mm -hmm. uh, next summer, I think, unless I earn $30,000 working live on a set somewhere. So, so, so if, if the idiot were to win, were, were to win, it would impact you directly. It would impact me directly far beyond health insurance. Okay, so let's talk about how. Um, so, okay, so when I was 24 years old, I was diagnosed mm -hmm. with acute myeloid leukemia, mm -hmm. which at the time was considered to be incurable. Mm -hmm. um, there was uh, 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 survival rates beyond five years did not exceed 25% was the literature I was handed. Um, uh, I had that episode of leukemia. I had a, 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 a um, remission for two years. I then had a recurrence of the leukemia and ultimately a, a bone marrow transplant in 1988. Um, and uh, I have been, you know, considered long cured ever since then, um, or at least a year or two after that. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very unusual uh, outcome for that era, certainly. And it's an unusual outcome in general. Mm -hmm. It's still a disease that has a pretty grim survival rate, although it's much improved from those days. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, the, the ages 24 to 29 were dominated by that, if, mm -hmm. not, um, uh, if not completely erased by it. I mean, I can't say completely erased because I actually, during that remission, auditioned again and got cast in another Neil Simon play on Broadway. So each time the cancer occurred, I, I had to leave a Neil Simon play on Broadway. Um, which led me to speculate on, on whether they were carcinogenic. <laughs> um, but, but essentially, yeah, the, the, the 25 to 29 were, were lost, lost mm -hmm. years. And, and, and at 25, you know, upon diagnosis, I was a, a, 
kind of a thriving Broadway and off-Broadway actor in New York. Mm -hmm. So uh, 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 I really lost lost four to five years of time, lost my place in line in terms of competition for jobs, um, lost my hair, lost a sense of innocence, lost my feelings of youth. Um, you know, it was a, a, a real harsh uh, set of losses in a very condensed amount of time and then kind of a 29, 30 years old set free into the world again. And, and, and being in the original cast of Six Degrees of Separation was kind of my big reemergence. Mm -hmm. uh, wearing a wig, of course, because I was still playing high school or college kids. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, you have uh, a great story about doing an audition and deciding whether or not to wear a wig. Do you have a story like that? <laughs> I don't remember about deciding or not to wear a wig. I know that I, when I would leave the house with or without wigs, the people who had last seen me with or without wouldn't wouldn't recognize me. <laughs> I'd have to introduce myself to people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people, people at people at shops would gasp in, in horror, say, thinking they had seen a double of someone they had seen earlier in the day. I remember a Pakistani guy saying to me, "There is someone else just like you." <laughs> um, um, yeah, I mean, I remember an actor who had been in Biloxi Blues with me. Mm -hmm. I had become ill, uh, uh, reintroducing myself to him some years later, probably wearing a wig. Um, who, 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 who gasped in, in horror and said, I, 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 I thought you were dead. Uh, uh, oh, God. I, you know, I disappeared and, and people had heard terrible, tragic things. And, mm -hmm. uh, uh, so I emerged um, extremely precocious in terms of uh, uh, a sense of vulnerability to aging and mortality. Mm -hmm. And probably socially stunted, in terms of a guy who who was you know uh, uh, swiped out of the dating pool at twenty five and thrown back in at twenty nine or thirty. Did, but didn't you have a girlfriend when you when you got diagnosed? Did you have a girlfriend when you got diagnosed? Yeah, I, I have. I had a girlfriend when I was diagnosed, and she remained my girlfriend sometimes off and on until I got well again, and then and then we split up. Mm. Um, uh, I, I was I was I was the guy who who. Who, who stayed with the woman and then broke up with her uh, uh, when I was well again. But then we got to back together again after that and ultimately she left me. Uh, well, thank goodness for that then. <laughs> it relieves me of some degree of guilt and, and, and culpability. Uh, uh, you know, we, we had a relationship that really functioned better in the crisis than it did outside the crisis. Interesting. So I don't even know which direction because now I'm tempted to go career stuff, but I'm I'm feeling like I just want to talk a little bit about what's going on here in this world. I, and I maybe we'll we'll come back to the career stuff because that's happy stuff, and maybe we want to we want to. I think you you know you were trying to relate my illness to insight into the dangers of a Trump presidency, but I I, I, I don't I think I don't think one needs, and I don't think I would have needed that illness to mm -hmm. sense the 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 danger and the risk i mean i just um there's still still today and through yesterday's election mm -hmm. day and the, the whole months leading up to it there's still a reluctance on the parts of who should be the most savvy citizens mm -hmm. from politicians to journalists to whoever mm -hmm. to to call out what's going on what's actually going on mm -hmm. there's a real ingrained pressure not to say 
this is an authoritarian fascist takeover. This. Why, why do you think that is, Evan? What's that? Why do you think that is? That These people smart people. Do that? Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I imagined us talking today, because I was pretty depressed last night. Um, I feel As were we all, I think. Somewhat liberated from that today, but mm -hmm. not, I can go on and talk about why not very much, really. You know, I feel more uh, uh, a limited sigh of relief than any exultation. Um, so, so my thoughts were: I don't really want to talk to Vicky because you know I don't know the answers to any of these questions. I'm, I, I'm not a sociologist. I'm not a political scientist. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know anything. I don't know how anybody can trip the lever for Donald Trump. I don't know how anybody can trip the lever for any Republican that mm -hmm. was an enabler or participant of Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. So when you looked a little puzzled as to why would you be feeling so grim, I'm, I feel grim because... No, I'm not looking at you like, why do you I feel grim? I feel completely grim. I, I, um, I don't take much comfort in what occurred. I feel a great sense of relief mm -hmm. in the presidential, what looks like the presidential outcome. Mm -hmm. um, barring you know, really even more overt fascist authoritarian crackdown of some kind, which I, I don't think is in the offing, um, but. Well, the GOP seems to be moving away from him. I mean, even just today when he was tweeting, they're yes, turning on him now. I think we are seeing mm -hmm. in some individuals mm -hmm. where finally the actual limit. <laughs> yeah, and the actual limit is they would uh, 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 they would publicly scold him if he ordered tanks into the streets and attempted an actual military coup. But Which short is of that, not willing to do anything except maybe uh, make it clear that they wouldn't support that. Mm -hmm. But short of that, anything and everything. So I don't see how anybody could have reelected any of those people. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that there's still going to be, and I'm, you know, people, people, people maybe experience some of these more mildly than others, but the fact that there can still be a Collins, that there can still be a Lindsey Graham, that there can still be a Mitch McConnell, that there can still mm -hmm. be a Joni Ernst, any of these people. And mm -hmm. I'm, and I'm, you know, although I can speak intelligently, I'm not well versed enough to mention any of the other number mm -hmm. who are, are really, you know, Cretinous beings mm -hmm. who were reelected, and and you know we live in a really, really, really uh, uh, troubled nation and troubled time. And yesterday, even if we escape the presidency, a second term of Donald Trump, yesterday confirmed that, for the most part. Mm -hmm. Uh, Michael Moore had a wonderful uh, live broadcast today and, and uh, had a wonderful piece. And he's, he's in a very optimistic mood today, much more so than I am. Um, what, okay, so you're saying you're still really depressed about it and all of this. And yes, the Senate is still in, and the Supreme Court, oh my God. I mean, I, I how could that happen? How can that, how did that happen? I mean, all of this is unfathomable. Do you feel a sense of hopelessness even if Biden is to win? Um, well, it's not as severe hopelessness mm -hmm. as I thought last night as it looked like he wasn't even going to win. 
No, right. I will feel a great sense, a great but limited sense of vindication mm -hmm. and relief that that guy will be out of the White House. That guy and all the people that he brought in there will be out of the White House. Mm -hmm. But 50% uh, of the population is okay with it. Mm -hmm. So loves it. Mm -hmm. So it's I don't feel very much to feel. I mean, I feel, I feel like a, 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 a and and I almost even feel I, I don't feel any desire that it should have actually happened the reelection. But all that stuff that you whatever I said four years ago that you remember and I don't. Mm -hmm. There are still people that don't believe that who still look at that the way you did four years ago. And the fact that he didn't win a second term and didn't implement all the things that would have happened over the next four years means that they can safely continue to deny that it was ever intended or ever would have come to pass. I never questioned that what you that I, I just didn't imagine that it would have the reach that you saw. You saw it having impact for generations and I didn't have well, that. I, I mean, do you follow Sarah Kenzior? And no. Writings? Oh, well, you, you should, you should. Mm -hmm. I mean, Sarah is someone who has a couple of best-selling books mm -hmm. and who has studied authoritarian regimes mm -hmm. and who has, you know, what I said four years ago was not anything terribly insightful or prescient. She has said, you know, and, and I guess the biggest banner she sends over and over again is this is not a government, this, this, is a, this is a transnational crime syndicate masquerading as a government. And the, I'm, 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 that I quoted pretty accurately, the rest is gonna be paraphrasing. Mm -hmm. But the facade of ineptitude mm -hmm. is not accurate. Mm -hmm. These people are extremely adept at what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They just have no interest in governing. They don't do government because that's not what they're interested in. Mm -hmm. They're interested in doing business with their criminal partners throughout the world. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what's been going on. Um, look, I, I don't think Donald Trump is a is a is a genius of any kind. I don't I don't I don't I don't think Donald Trump. You know the the uh, the continual you know crafty implementation of authoritarianism over the last four years mm -hmm. and this attempt to disable the post office. Mm -hmm. A successful attempt to disable the post office, mm -hmm. um, to 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 uh, sub, to uh, uh, in, inhibit voting. You, you you think this all like comes from the 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 miraculous mind of Donald Trump? It's that's you know Donald Trump has been a vehicle through which, and I'm not even speculating. I don't know who, but through mm -hmm. which very skilled, very knowledgeable authoritarian implementers and specialists have successfully mm -hmm. uh, uh, gone a very long way. And, you know, with a population that's clearly ripe for it. I mean, those things are written about in books. I'm, I'm not, you know, the scholar or the authors of those books, but the, the conditions that, that lay the ground for this, mm -hmm. and that make it, you know, occurring simultaneously around the world in various mm -hmm. ways exist. Mm -hmm. And and I'm not sure that a respite with a Joe Biden, but mm -hmm. not uh, but but a Republican Senate is going to do much to address those underlying conditions. Wow. I can remember uh, uh, four years ago when I, I I was 
mentioned. Sorry, but just to say something, you know, and that doesn't mean that I'm a Bernie Sanders or or or, or even left of that supporter. I'm not a person who feels like it has to be a, a third party candidate. It has to, you know, mm -hmm. I supported Elizabeth Warren through the through the primaries. You know, as did I. Mm -hmm. Uh, 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 I don't think I don't I don't think non-democratic, non-republican, or 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 socialist, uh, uh, complete revolutionary revamping of the United States is necessary to address those conditions either. Mm -hmm. um, but I, but I don't know that a a, 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 a single term of Joe Biden with 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 a gridlocked government because of a the same the same. Uh, 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 completely corrupt and criminal Republican Senate mm -hmm. is going to allow addressing many of those things. Um, point well taken. Um, you, um, I, I, I started to, to think of three questions and now I'm, I'm thinking about what you just said. That's pretty helpful. Uh, okay. So four years ago, you, you, you saw the civil rights movement moving back to the 60s. You saw women's rights rolling back to the 60s. You saw get you saw all of that stuff that was going to go down. Moving forward, because half the country has proven itself to be total idiots, um, does this, you don't sound very hopeful that this can undo has this damage that's been done, no matter what happens in this election, how do we move forward? I mean, do you-, you asked a few minutes ago, like, um, you know, what do you think it is that keeps people from being able to accept that this actually is an authoritarian, this actually mm -hmm. is, you know, mm -hmm. an authoritarian movement. Um, so I don't know, like, I don't, I don't understand how somebody could see that election four years ago and not get. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, what have they been after for, for decades? They've been after rolling back Roe v. Wade and, and mm -hmm. women's rights. They've been after, um, you know, stopping marriage equality. And, and, and um, so, so what else is going to happen? So, so when you ask, um, do, do I think that this election will change things? I mean, this election can change some things. It can change some things if three Supreme Court justices suddenly drop dead or retire. But I mean, what, what, what? Well, or what, if they pack the, the court. What, 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 mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I don't like that term personally. I don't either. But packing the court is what has already occurred. Mm -hmm. um, expanding the court is, listen, well, but they don't have the Senate to do that. So, you know, it's not even, it's not even going to be an option. Um, really? If there had been a Democrat and, and Senate wave like I had hoped, mm -hmm. I would have been totally, totally, totally among those advocating for the, these are the first things you must do. Mm -hmm. You must expand the Supreme Court and get things back on sensible footing. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, uh, um, I, I'm, I'm blanking a little bit about other, other uh, 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 things, but eliminate the electoral college mm -hmm. and expand the Supreme Court. But mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we're now going to have, what is it, a six to three court now? It's, um, you know, there's a... Uh, it's not good. There's, there's, um, I don't see what progressive agenda is going to be uh, 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 enactable. 
I mean, we don't know tonight. I'm not quite paranoid about that yet, but we don't know tonight whether uh, uh, the apparent election results are going to be uh, uh, implemented with the current Supreme Court. Well, now, what? I'll tell, tell you something, just my own personal feelings. Mm -hmm. I want to know that. If the Supreme Court mm -hmm. doesn't invalidate votes that mm -hmm. are there and mm -hmm. hand the presidency again to Donald Trump, it won't be because they don't want to. It will be, or aren't willing to. It'll be because, it'll be because, it'll be because they don't want it put upon them more than that they wouldn't be willing to do it if it was forced on them, is my feeling. I mean, look, you had one of them come out and publicly signal, announce essentially, Brett Kavanaugh announced yeah. that he's ready to do it. He, he, made, he made an announcement about the, the, the uh, anti-democratic nature of counting votes past election day. Mm -hmm. Wow. I didn't hear that so, today. But... So, I mean, look, you know, uh, I'm delighted that it seems that Joe Biden is going to win the election. And mm -hmm. I hope that Pennsylvania and Georgia go that way, too, so people can see some kind of absolutely, uh, you know, um, larger gap between it. Mm -hmm. And I hope that they go slinking away, you know, silently, rather than doing terrible damage between now and January. That's but, my next question for you. What's your gut on that on on how that the next couple of months are going to play out? I'm already speaking out of my depth. I'm you know, I'm not I'm not. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a thoughtful human being, but I'm not an expert in, in No, well, I'm not asking for an expert opinion. I'm just asking what your gut is. Does it do you have fear that there's going to be do you have concerns about violence and and him and him instigating trouble? By concerns about violence, I mean there are weekly police shootings mm -hmm. of unaccused people. Mm -hmm. There there are uh, weekly mass killings in the United States already. So mm -hmm. I don't, I don't get, I don't even get the question of, are you concerned about violence? The well, violence no, I, I, I think there, I think it's go, I, I think the potential violence directly attributable to Trump supporters. Yes. I, th I think, I think if, if it goes against him, he's going to call out his lunatics and they're going to go and say, I think they're going to go nuts. I think they're going to go nuts. I, I fear it. I feel it. I, I, I mean, I won't be surprised if there's some of that. I, I don't, I don't. I'm not making a prediction. Mm -hmm. I'll just share my, my thoughts with you are, Absolutely. I, don't, I don't have fantasies of fearing mm -hmm. mass rogue armies. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think most of those people are, are, are all that brave. <laughs> I mean, I don't think, I don't think those people strutting around uh, at shopping malls with their weapons strapped to their chest are, are people who are all that eager to take a bullet. Mm -hmm. I think they're people who are perfectly happy to, you know, go and show off and mm -hmm. to shoot somebody else from a great distance. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't really see that. I mean, you saw, you saw, you saw parades of them in their big pickup trucks honking their horns. I mean, mm -hmm. if they wanted to, they could have shot up lines of voters. Mm -hmm. um, I think we live in a really sick society with an mm -hmm. overabundance of guns and there's going to be violence. And as has already been established, the mm -hmm. vast majority of it, 
will be from right-wing extremists. But mm -hmm. that's nothing new. That's mm -hmm. simply what's been going on for mm -hmm. decades already. Mm -hmm. yes, and they claim true. to be doing it in response to their fear of left-wing extremists. It's, it's pretty convenient. You know, the only reason I commit crimes is because I know those people were about to. Do you, do you think that he'll go, do you think that? I think we're already where you, you're asking me if you're asking me if I'm afraid of something that I think is already in existence. Mm -hmm. Well, I agree with that. Do you think so that he's going to maybe, maybe somewhat, maybe a little bit, I, I guess I don't see it as becoming, but I think, is he going to call them out? Is he going to, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he's been much more as blatant as he's been. He's more subtle about those things. He's more like, wouldn't it be great if, you know. Yeah, but if he finds out that he's leaving the White House and he's going to go, and if he does, he's going to jail. Um, no, 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 I disagree with that. Really? This country has never and will never, at least as far as I can see in my lifetime, send a former president to jail. He will not be prosecuted for anything for the rest of his life. Oh, come on. You don't think that Cuomo is going to put him behind jail? Oh, come on. Really? Oh no, that's been giving me such joy to think of that. Really? Never happened. Why? Because there will be, I don't even know on the part of who, but there will, there, there, what will win the day mm -hmm. will be the same thing that was said about Richard Nixon. The country must heal. We must put this aside. That's, that's the American way. I don't agree with it. I think the best healing for the country is to prosecute every one of those motherfuckers. I think he's gone too far, Evan. I, I, don't think, I don't think you can compare what he's done to what Nixon's done. He's killed hundreds of thousands of people. He's a murderer. He's a murderer. I, I, you, you, you can't prosecute that case in a court of law. No, that, that case you cannot, but there's plenty. The things he can be prosecuted. All I can tell you is my view of my, my uh, I, I, of the many things that I'm critical about the United States and the things that I've bemoaned and said, we live in a sick society. Mm -hmm. We live in a society that at this moment in time, I cannot imagine, imagine prosecuting uh, a former president. Wow. No matter how severe his crimes. I, I will say one thing. Mm -hmm. If he actually did shoot someone in the head on video on Fifth Avenue, <laughs> He'd go to jail. No, I don't think he would. I mean, he's like, he is undone. He's gotten away with everything. I don't think he will. No. Well, he's gotten away with everything so far. But I, I, I to me, today just feels like a so little bit. Are put him in jail for like income tax fraud and avoidance? I do. I think Cuomo's going to, I think Cuomo's going to go after him and I think he's going to get him. I just think it's very personal with those two. And I just hope he gets them. I just hope he gets them. But, you know, I would like to see him and, you know, Giuliani and Steve Bannon and all of them and, 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 you know, Stephen Miller. I'd like to see, you know, I'd like to see these people. Um, 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 I mean, I, I don't mean because of their political views. I believe they're, you know, a criminal cabal. Mm-hmm not because of their political views, but because of their actions. Um, but uh, I mean, I mean, look, who should, who, should, who should be in jail tonight is the guy who took over the post at the post office, who, who told, uh, 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 who, who said in response to a court order, yeah, I'm not gonna do that, I choose not to. Mm -hmm.
Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, but but no, I don't see it. I don't think that's what. Uh, I think it's a flaw in this country, but I don't think that's what this country does. What well, what in your wildest? So okay, so you don't and see him in a jail. It won't be done because people will fear that it will appear like we're jailing our political enemies like he threatened to. Mm. I don't think Cuomo cares about that. I personally, I don't think Cuomo cares about that. I, I, I think Cuomo's going to get after him personally. Is it really but, up to Cuomo? I mean, does the government of New York decide who well, well, I mean, that's where he owes a lot of money and didn't pay his taxes. And so there's a case against him yeah, there. Yeah, he'll pay a lot of fines. Maybe. I mean, Maybe. rich people generally don't go to jail for not paying taxes. I mean, so occasionally they do, but um, um, I, I know people who don't pay taxes. Their, right. regular, their regular routine is mm -hmm. I wait until they, you know, come to me and then mm -hmm. my lawyer goes to them and we threaten to sue them and they don't have the money to defend it and we settle for a fraction of what I owed and that's the way I do it every year. I think it's despicable. Wow. But that's how thousands of Americans behave. Mm -hmm. um, so do I think Donald Trump is going to go to jail for not paying taxes? What, what do you think? How... How do how do you if, if if this goes down the way it looks like it's going to go down? Yeah, I don't know how to envision the next two and a half months. I mean, I don't think there should be this lame duck period. I think I think what's apparent now is how dangerous it can be. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I go back to you know, look, Gary Kasparov has been very you know the former chess champion and activist. Mm -hmm. um, you know what he first said. He said before Donald Trump was inaugurated, mm -hmm. before inauguration day. He said, Americans have just had their eyes open to the fact that their government operates on the honor system. Mm. And I don't think that should be allowed to continue. Mm. Um, there should be really clear rules and laws that the highest government officials need to adhere to. And there are not. Donald Trump has been able to do what he has done because all he has had to do has been to break norms. Mm. Fuck norms. There need to be laws mm -hmm. about how the government operates, mm -hmm. um, and the whole Republican Party. And they don't respect the norms, and they don't respect the laws either, because they trust that they're not really going to be prosecuted for for defying them. Um, so, you know, I have a greater appetite for that. I'm happy to see any elected officials who break laws go to jail. I don't care if it's Democrats or Republicans. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting to me that as hopeless and as as depressed as uh, you were the last time I spoke to you, I feel more hopeless and depressed speaking to you today on, on the verge of perhaps um, having Biden win. Do, do you see, I mean, are, are you totally, are you totally well, why, hopeless? You know, what, I, what I said to you before we started talking, you didn't quite believe it, is that I don't, Whatever I said four years ago that I don't remember, mm -hmm. I don't think I spoke anything close to what my concerns were. So mm -hmm. whatever I predicted or you know said, I don't know. You you yeah, spoke very strong. You spoke very strongly. Decades, this and that. No, I mean what mm -hmm. I foresaw, mm -hmm. and that I think would have happened in a second Trump term mm -hmm. was a total, total authoritarian dismantling mm -hmm. of the entire United States government and an operating system, which you know, has actually occurred. There yes. is no State mm -hmm. Department. Mm -hmm. You know, no one works there mm -hmm. compared to what was. There's, there's, mm -hmm. you know, Pompeo bouncing around the world. 
-hmm. You know, there's no Justice Department. There's Bill mm -hmm. Barr, who's been the personal attorney for Donald Trump to try to help him implement the mm -hmm. illegal seizure of this election. Mm -hmm. So if we escape that, it's a really good thing. But no, what was in store was a, was a, a complete dismantling of the democracy mm -hmm. of the United States. Which so much has that's been. That's what I thought four years ago. Mm -hmm. If I talked about, well, women's rights are going to get rolled back and it's really going to be a tough time for, 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 for lesbian and gay rights. But that, 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 that's, that's a fraction of what I mm -hmm. think what has happened mm -hmm. and would be in store. Mm -hmm. So, okay, you know, and not, not, that I'm a, not that I'm a huge fan of the bureaucracy and think that the State Department, the way it's worked for decades, is what should be. Mm -hmm. But the dismantling of that, the dismantling of alliances, mm -hmm. withdrawing from uh, 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 the, the Paris Accords and, and, and various environmental agreements, you know, this is, this is tragic stuff mm -hmm. that can be somewhat put back into place. Uh, well, so that's my next we've question. Been, we've been saved from something so much darker mm -hmm. than what I, you know, than, 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 what, than what would have happened over the next four years if this, if, if this, uh, uh, Biden, um, administ you know, term comes into being. So there's a, so there is a glimmer of hope and optimism in you slightly that, um, that some of this can be salvaged. I'm getting here a little bit. Yeah, but I'm, what I, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I am sharing with you my, my continued, um, sadness. Mm -hmm. We did not see the repudiation. I mean, mm -hmm. think of what has occurred over the last four years. Mm -hmm. Think of what every one of those Republican senators allowed to happen. Mm -hmm. They got, they almost all got reelected. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the vast, the vast majority, not the vast majority, a full 50, just about 50% of the American population is okay with every bit of that. They would be happy with an authoritarian minority, minority government. That's what they want. Mm -hmm. So am I thrilled that it's been barely staved off mm -hmm. simply in the executive branch where we mm -hmm. actually lost seats in the House where we thought we would gain seats, where mm -hmm. the Senate is still held by that party that was mm -hmm. ready to let this president implement a complete authoritarian de deconstruction mm -hmm. of, a of a democracy? Mm -hmm. I'm not jumping for joy. Mm -hmm. No, this is a really, really sick population mm -hmm. um, that was on the very, very, very verge of welcoming any degree of atrocity. And so we talked about this before the show that I had staved off. And so all the underlying conditions that minds, you know, more, more scholarly than myself can tell you make people open to that kind of populist cruelty mm -hmm. still exist and have to be addressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are a... And I don't know that they can be under a very moderate Democrat with mm -hmm. a Republican Senate and a conservative Supreme Court. I think Joe Biden would have, I mean, his, his, 
his published platform was mm -hmm. one of the most progressive of any of any candidate. So if if there had been a really overwhelming wash and they held all three uh, 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 three prongs of the government, then mm -hmm. perhaps some of those and they did the right things, mm -hmm. then perhaps some of those things could have been addressed. But I don't I don't even even with the in, good intent of Donald of, of, of sorry of, of Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. You know, he's putting forth this thing of it's now time to, you know, treat each other with respect again. We're all Americans. We need to work together. I don't know how much of that is pablum or how much is real intent. You know, if if they had won all three branches of government, I mm -hmm. would have wanted them to go out in office and be every bit of, as ruthless as the Republicans have been. Mm -hmm. Would Joe Biden have done that? I don't know. Mm hmm. Without holding the Senate, will he do anything like that? I mean, Joe, the best Joe Biden can do now is try to cajole mm. Mitch McConnell's Senate. Mm. And I assume, I mean, unless there's really a miracle or Joe Biden is really a genius, you know, um, I assume what's going to happen is you're going to see what they did with Obama. He's not going to be able to appoint judges. He's not going to be able to pass legislation. It'll seem like uh, to many people a failure in four years. Well, Obama certainly isn't considered a failure. Mm, no, no. I mean, he had a brief period of time where he, you know, had the, 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 the. But, but also, I mean, his he's not considered a failure, but his entire agenda had to be implemented through executive order that was mm -hmm. then reversed upon leaving office. So we'll see if Joe Biden is as aggressive as that. Mm -hmm. and successful at, at implementing that. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a sad state of affairs if, if the whole country runs on uh, executive orders with, with you know, opposition parties uh, negating each other. Mm -hmm. I think it would have been great for the nation and for the world to see what a three-pronged democratic government could have done in response to what mm -hmm. we've just seen. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I just feel very sad that that opportunity is not going to happen. That mm -hmm. so much of the population was is is happy with the last four years. It's it's un, I, I I don't understand. I really don't understand it. And that's where I land too. I don't understand it either. I don't understand it. I mean, you know, I've watched my second documentary about the Nexium cult. Mm -hmm. I don't understand that either. Mm -hmm. I don't understand the people who's there on screen saying, yeah, but when you're in that situation, you know, and they, they told me to, you know, uh, uh, make up a story about my father, uh, you know, molesting me and, and to give them an explicit videotape that compromised me. Yeah, I really felt like I had to do it. I don't understand that. Mm -hmm. I don't understand people, um, except that people are very much more tribal than I identify with. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, just feel like, you know, better the conservative guy than anybody else. And so I'm going to vote for that. Evan, did you come from, uh, I, I know the answer to this. Oh, you are so, did you come from activist? Were your parents activists? Uh, yeah, I guess you'd have to say they were. I mean, they, not in the sense of, you know, uh, that, mean, that word means different things to different people. 
Mm-hmm. So they were not they were not people who devoted their lives. Their career was not activism. Right. But uh, I, I I come from what could be called either admirably admirable or or mockable liberal mm-hmm. stock. Uh, you know, um, I grew up, you know, with my my parents LPs were uh, uh, among the Frank Sinatra and and Barbara Streisand. Mm-hmm. Was Harry Belafonte and Pete Seeger singing at Carnegie Hall? You know, I mean, I, I like I know all those songs because mm-hmm. those are the records that were playing and what I played. You know, I grew up mm-hmm. learning. Um, uh, and my dad was one of the you know white attendees at the Martin Luther King's 1963 March on Washington. Um, he didn't bring my seven-year-old brother because my mother was too concerned and afraid of what might happen. Um, so, yeah, you know, in that sense, yes. And I was just, you know, brought up and have my own feeling that, I mean, the world should be as 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 fair a place as a capitalist society can allow. Mm-hmm. Um, that there, sh- you know, I'm not, I'm not against uh, 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 accomplishment being rewarded, you know, but. I also don't see any reason that there need to be multi-billionaires, mm-hmm. billionaires at all. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand voters who defend the fortunes mm-hmm. of billionaires against taxation. Mm-hmm. Because it takes a lot more than the billionaires' votes to defend it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't get it. you know, And I don't get people who think that you know, um, my religion is threatened if those two people can get married. You know, it just, it's nonsensical to me. And that was always your thinking. You're, you're a little younger than I am. So you're kind of, 60s activism is was before your time. Were you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also my parents, you know, before that, I mean, my parents did have a, a, a I mean, they had more of a late 60s, they, they had more of a like early 70s activism, I guess. Although mm-hmm. although my father going to, you know, the, the March on Washington, I, I don't know what that means to, Real I went to the North on Washington, yeah. Um, uh, uh, but um, did you have an awareness growing up? I'm, I'm well, you know, my brother was in danger of being drafted for the Vietnam War, so mm-hmm. you know there was talk around the house of what, what you know what's going to happen. I mean, is are you going to go to college or are you going to Canada? You know that, that you know it was it was it was like that. There was there was there was real. Uh, present fear of um, what do we do when uh, this government might sacrifice our child to uh, a, a meaningless conflict half mm-hmm. a world away? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they, 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 they. So my brother was going on buses to to D.C. in his teenage years, mm-hmm. you know, when I was just eleven or twelve. But I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, but what if what affected me? I mean, I knew my dad had been to that march. Mm-hmm. I. I watched the assassination of Martin Luther King sitting home alone when I was seven or eight years old. You know, mm-hmm. I ran to the door and told my parents, not knowing what kind of news I was giving. Martin Luther King was shot, you know, and watching their reaction to that. So, so um, those are the kinds of things that I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, is that age of assassination, that age of uh, uh, warfare on the nightly news, that age of it being revealed that 
the, the, the justifications were a lie, the attempt to uh, 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 pervert the election of 1972, the 1968 uh, demonstrations at the Democratic Convention, and the trial, the bizarre trials. I mean, not, not Aaron Sorkin's film, but the mm -hmm. actual events. And, and you know, so I was, I was interested and fascinated about that stuff. That was a lot of my reading material during my teenage years. You know, I listened to Bob Dylan when everybody was listening to, you know, Fleetwood Mac. And, and uh, 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 so that was stuff that interested, interested and fascinated me and, and, and formed me. What, what pulled you to perform? When did you start performing? I mean, I always wanted to do that kind of thing, but you know, I, I tell my 13 year old daughter now who uh, just because the nature of, you know, we're, we're, we, we have been private schooling her, not public schooling her. So there are those who watch that and condemn that and, you know, with, with some justification. Uh, uh, so we're looking at high schools now and, you know, they're kind of like college applications, you know, mm -hmm. and I keep telling her, you don't need to know this stuff. You know, you don't need to, know what you want to do to choose a high school. I mean, when I was 13, I wanted to, I wanted to be a major league baseball player. You know, it was a ridiculous fantasy that I wanted at 13, you know, and then I liked playing the drums and I, but I was never good at those things, you know, uh, but I wanted to be an actor pretty much from 17 years old on at the, at the latest, actually, um, it may have even been 15 or so. What, what did, do you, was there a defining incident? Did something happen that kind of pushed you in that direction? Well, the, the two, you know, one is one is more of a joke than the other. But you know, I used to go. My dad and I used to go to the movies. You know, uh, uh, we he watched westerns at home or whatever. But every once in a while, he'd say, "Hey, let's go to the movies," and we'd go. And I mean, when I was much, really much too young to to really take them in that well, I mean, we we saw Serpico, we saw Dog Day Afternoon. And I, I do remember going and seeing Serpico very clearly. And I I, I think it was like a 1972 movie. I'm not, I would have been 11. You know, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. I was very taken by these films. I mean, they were Sidney Lumet, Al Pacino collaborations. They mm -hmm. were based on true stories mm -hmm. and, and they told stories. And, and, and the way I'll say this has been crystallized in my thinking much more recently than when I was 11 years old. But, you know, they told stories. I, I came to be fascinated by truths getting people to look at truths they'd rather not have to look at or recognize packaged in ways that were too entertaining to turn away from. <laughs> so that I think really was a driving influence through my early years as an actor on stage in New York, when I think I was known much more for doing dramatic stuff than comedy. So the fact that, you know, I've become much more familiar to people around the world from two comedies, uh, and even you were doing Neil Simon on Broadway. You were you were doing yeah, but that was but that was yes yes but that was those were some of my last days mm. on the New York stage, mm -hmm. which which was actually I Hate Hamlet, uh, a wonderful Paul Rudnick comedy that was uh, 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 in which my experience was ruined by by a. a, a uh, 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 let, let, let's tell that story, Evan, because that's a really that's a really fun story. Please tell that because we can use a little levity here. Come on. <laughs> it's, it's not levity for me. It's not levity for you, but it's a wonderful story for me. I enjoy it. During a four week rehearsal period uh, and gave one of the worst performances of my life in in my first above the title romantic comedy, you know, billing on Broadway. Uh, I left the cast of Six Degrees of Separation to do it. 
it was an incredible coup to get cast in the role and found myself in the presence of a six foot four inch, really, really miserably unhappy alcoholic who had a legendary career mm-hmm. of mesmerizing performances and violent behavior. Oh, he already had it. I didn't know that he had violent behavior. Oh, oh, uh, yeah. No, I'm not okay. the first actor oh. or producer or individual Nicol Williamson had struck. Okay, I didn't know that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, you know, I found myself trying to succeed with two hands tied behind my back. And, you know, it's never a good situation. Regard, I mean, in, 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 e- e- even, even, if, even if your director and producers and co-stars are perfect, it's mm-hmm. never a good artistic formula mm-hmm. if you desperately feel like you need to succeed in this opportunity in order to get another leg up on any kind of ladder, which it was for me. You know, I mean, I was already, when I was cast in I Hate Hamlet, I was already 30 years old. Mm-hmm. I had already been a professional actor for about 13 years. Mm-hmm. Wow. I had never so much as kissed a girl on stage or on camera. Like that just was not what was given to me you know i was not that guy mm-hmm. and now it was a romantic comedy i was a romantic lead in the romantic comedy and and here you go you know it's, it's, this was this was 13 years worth of trying to mm-hmm. get accepted in this not, not, not it wasn't that i was trying to get accepted in this way um it was it was it was a response to 13 years worth of being told that's not who we see you as Mm-hmm. That, that was my goal. My goal would have been to be Al Pacino in Sidney Lumet films. <laughs> but but still, you got to kiss a lot of girls. You know, you 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 don't want to spend you know seventeen years old to thirty years old being told that um, you're good for this, you're not good for that. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, okay, here you go. Mm-hmm. Take this, run with it, and find yourself with someone that you absolutely you know can't can't operate with because uh lo and behold they're, they're they're not respecting any norms and so what happened evan um well uh uh the rehearsal period was extremely volatile nickel quit the play twice over the course of our four-week rehearsal period disappearing for three days at a time um i didn't know that part of the story either okay there were you know frequent outbursts of anger mm-hmm. um was he drinking on was he drinking we were told before we started that, that Nickel was not drinking. Oh, okay. Right. So the first cast lunch at the first rehearsal's lunch break, I have this written down eloquently in, 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 in one of my books. Mm-hmm. Either maybe, maybe, I'm not sure if it's Time on Fire or it's only temporary, but I don't remember the line. But it was, it was something like uh, two Guinness stouts a bottle of red wine and a snifter of brandy before going back to rehearse in the afternoon. Mm. So, so that was the not drinking. Right. Um, you know, and I had all the other cast members telling me, you know, you can't do the fight rehearsals. I mean, this had huge sword battles and you can't do the fight rehearsals after lunch. You're going to lose an eye. You're going to, you know, um, um, so, uh, uh, <laughs> it, it was just, it was really rough and difficult and I didn't know how to handle myself. Um, I remember on one of the times that he disappeared and quit the production, mm-hmm. you know, I did go to the director, took all my courage, my God, I went to the director and I said, you know, listen, um, I don't think he should come back. You know, uh, 
Um, but of course, you know, he was welcomed back. But really what that conversation should have been is, I, I, I can't operate in this situation. If he comes back, I need to go. But what I, the, the point I meant to make before is, if there, whenever you're in a situation where you're not willing to surrender an opportunity because the circumstances are so bad and polluted, that's a bad situation. So yes, the, 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 the more adult, sane thing to do would have been, this is a bad situation, I need to go, I can't succeed here, instead of, I must stay and try to take my shot. But come on, who at 30 years old, when you have the, the part of your, of your career that you've been waiting for is going to, that would have been a very mature thing to do. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, in theory, that would be a nice thing, but come on, you were getting your shot. You weren't gonna do that. Yeah, uh, uh, so uh, the play opened. I got really dreadful reviews, deservedly so. You know, I mean, I, I have some of my really most appallingly humiliating moments of memories of being <laughs> on stage. Um, but literally, I mean, my performances with Nicole Williamson were jousting first. I mean, you know, he, he, he would insist upon upstaging you every second of the play. And if, after I had already had all the bad reviews, if I tried to stand in a different position, he would shove me out of the way. I mean, he would, you know, whatever. So there was a, finally, there's a big sword fight that culminates act one. Mm -hmm. And there's supposed to be a time where I run past him and he kind of flicks my sword out of the way. And instead I saw as I was running toward him, he had his sword all the way drawn back. And as I ran by, he smacked me across the ass as hard as he could. And I ran through the doorway off the set I told the stage manager I was leaving and wouldn't be back. And I got changed and I left the theater. And he made a, a speech to the audience uh, saying it, it appears uh, an actor has, has, has uh, missed a parry and become embarrassed and left the stage. And, and we'll bring the curtain back up in a, in a, in a few minutes. So um, they had the intermission. Uh, my understudy took over. And I just thought, good, I'm out of that. Fine, whatever. Um, but two days later, it was on the front page of the New York Times, the front page of the New York Post, um, which I didn't know about. I, I, I was buying a newspaper at the newsstand and saw my face staring back at me from the New York Post. And when I got home, there were nine messages on the answering machine from CBS, NBC, you know, every possible thing. I mean, I, I decided I had to leave the house. I went to Shea Stadium to watch the, the Mets play. And, and it, 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 it was like a ridiculous, like, you know, um, crime film because on every cover of the New York Post is there me staring back in myself and I'm like my hat down lower and lower or you know uh, uh, I really thought because because it was two days before those stories appeared I thought this is just a story that 500 people are going to have to tell and that'll be that and then it was repeated eight months later and all the year-end issues of the happenings of the year and 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 so I, I achieved my first taste of notoriety uh, basically from quitting a job uh, so you were perceived as the heavy, I assume. No, I don't think so. I mean, Alex Witchell wrote a great story in the New York Times about it that, that did me justice. Mm -hmm. Included, you know, she, she included my quotes, which mm -hmm. I was grateful for. I mean, Cindy Adams did a hit job in the New York Post because mm -hmm. she was Celeste Holm, who, who was a, a, just, a, just a horrible human being mm -hmm. uh, uh, to have to deal with. Um, um, also a wonderful actress, as Nickel was a terrific actor. Mm -hmm. But as I said in Alex Witchell's column, you know, Nicole Williamson is a, is a, is a, you know, brilliant actor who the rest of us will have to continue to put up with until he finishes the job of killing himself. Oh, God.
Um, and apparently he died in a pretty sad state. And, and, and upon Trump's election, I wound up getting into arguments on Twitter with his son and his friend, the son of Michael Flynn. Wow. So there you go. Wow, that went full circle. Yeah, yeah. So, so you walk off, how do you get your next gig? So what's your next gig after you walk off a Broadway show? I mean, it had to be, I would imagine it was challenging after that, no? Or no? Um, well, uh, had it already been lined up or not? I don't think it had been finalized, no. I did my friend Brian Galyabov's play Big Al, which is about a, an obsessive Al Pacino fan. Mm -hmm. So I did it all made up and speaking like Al Pacino in Dog Day Afternoon. Um, a terrific first or early play by a young guy who then went on to write a lot of television shows and film scripts himself and uh, was hired by James Brooks to do the season of the first season of a sitcom that never found its stride called Sibs with Marsha Mason, Margaret Colin, and Jamie Gertz. Wow. Um, but it was the last Broadway play I did. Wow. I did a string of seven Broadway productions in a nine-year period in spite of having two bouts of leukemia during that same period. Wow. Uh, and 1991 was the last Broadway show I did. Um, I have since, but it was, it was a year or two ago for the first time gotten off, got offered one, but it was a, a, long, a long spell. You know, I, I, I have no idea whether there's some blacklist against Evan Handler because he left the stage of a, of a Broadway show. But I did get offered to play uh, uh, the father of the role that I played in the original cast of Six Degrees of Separation. Oh, wow. We mounted that with uh, uh, John Hickey and, and um, Allison Janney. Wow. Um, so Evan, how did, so, so you did this James L. Brooks, but that was not a success. How, how did success come? How, what, was, what came after that? Good question. Um, I know I did Ron Howard's film Ransom in 1995. Oh, you know what happened? I wrote, I wrote, uh, I wrote the stage play Time on Fire and told the story of my illness. I did that through 92 and 93 at Naked Angels. Mm -hmm. And then I did the off-Broadway run in 93 at Second Stage. Mm -hmm. And after that, I started getting offered more money than for an entire off-Broadway run of a play to do Time on Fire presentations at medical conferences and symposiums. And I spent a few years doing that, not just because of the money, but because uh, I got to go and speak to groups of 200 to 4,000 physicians and hospital administrators and wow. healthcare workers and tell them how much more difficult my survival had been than it needed to be. I mean, whoever doesn't know the tone of Time on Fire, it's a very sarcastic, angry rendition of getting well from a supposedly incurable illness that was made even more difficult to survive than it needed to be because of the, the, the horrors of the healthcare system and, and, and the lack of uh, uh, compassion and interpersonal skills from a lot of the people who do those jobs. Mm -hmm. Circa mid to late 1980s New York. And so, so I kind of didn't work as an actor for a few years voluntarily. So now how, oh, cause that's, now this is the second time you're leaving and you're coming back. So after you were doing these medical things and you were doing your show, how did you get back in after that? 
I know I did. Um, Dan Sullivan hired me to do an Arthur Lawrence play at Seattle Rep that mm-hmm. was supposedly slated with, with Scott Rudin to come to New York as a Broadway production. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think Liev Schreiber decided not to do or had gotten something else to. Um, and it didn't really go well in mm-hmm. Seattle. And in fact, myself and another actor didn't even behave very well. I mean, we weren't happy, we weren't happy with some of the other cast members, had a difficult time. And um, mm-hmm. I mean, Dan Sullivan was a friend around that time and, and mm-hmm. we, we haven't worked together since then either. So I'm sorry to say. Um, I didn't throw tantrums or anything. We just kind of behaved like stupid eighth grade boys laughing and 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 making fun of what was going on around us as the production wasn't coming together the way we would have liked it to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that didn't work out so well. That was 95. Then I did Time on Fire in Los Angeles. I'm trying to think what came later at, at some point, and I don't know when or why, I, I must have started working in television. Mm-hmm. But I, don't, I, I can't point to what those jobs were in the late 90s that took me that way. Um, was Six Feet Under an early thing that you did or was that not so? I'm trying to remember when Six Feet Under was. When somewhere, was in there, somewhere in there I did West Wing. Um, oh, hey, I, by the way, I, I'm binging the West Wing now for the first time. I never watched it. And I am loving it so much that I can't stand it. And I had, I had no idea you were in there. And all of a sudden I got to see the end of season three and there you were. And uh, there were a couple of jobs for which I was hired with great fanfare, like West mm-hmm. Wing it was me, Connie Britton and Ron Silver. Mm-hmm. But they only used me and Connie a few times and right. Ron stayed on, you know? So it was like, got hot. it looked like it was gonna be a big thing and I'm, I'm happy mm-hmm. to have been associated with it. You mm-hmm. know, and those four episodes that I did were great. Mm-hmm. Um, so some, I guess the late 90s were, some, were those kind of guest spots. That's what it was. It was those guest spots. And then I did uh, a, 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 a split season, meaning it was a mid-season replacement and then half of another season of Peter Melman's show, It's Like You Know. Okay, you- so I know Peter, but also my stylist, who's a very good friend of mine, was also your costumer on that, Craig uh, James. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yes, and so that, so, so did- that was kind of heralded at the time. Right. The first offshoot of Seinfeld. Right. It was kind of an L.A. Seinfeld. Peter had been a writer of one of the, some of the most mm-hmm. notable episodes. Iconic, Seinfeld, yes. You know, so, but, it, but it didn't catch on. It was also right when they started to air Who Wants to Be a Millionaire six nights a week. So it was the, 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 the networks were just turning to unscripted material. It was mm. much cheaper to produce. And we just got pushed off the schedule and it didn't come to be. Uh-huh. Um, so that's the late 90s doing that kind of stuff. Um, getting, you know, some, some sort of recognition building, you know, because, you know, I was on television and, and West Wing and, and whatever. Uh, uh, but then I, I was still living in New York. I was right. In Los Angeles to do pilot seasons. And when 9-11 happened in New York, mm-hmm. uh, that was the first time that I really decided I happened to rent a place for pilot season in Santa Monica, which for whatever reason I had never even known. I just would always go to West Hollywood or whatever, mm-hmm. or Oakwood in Burbank or something. And I mm-hmm. thought, wow, it's really awfully pleasant here. And I got an apartment and I moved all my stuff away from New York for the first time. Mm-hmm. I guess this would have been early 2002. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was offered to fly back to New York four days after moving all my stuff to Los Angeles <laughs> for the first time to uh, uh, fly in an audition for Sex in the City. Which is the game changer. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I was already, it, it wasn't that I was unknown. I, I, already, I already built a, you know, quite a name for myself in New York and was recognizable to people from film and television, but mm -hmm. absolutely yes. Being on Sex I mean, Because once you're in Sex in the City, then a, everybody knows you. Game changer, yes. Yes. And, and I know that the people, you know, who had been, I came into Sex in the City six years into their seven year run. I was really only there for about 18 months with those people. You, I think of you as the whole thing. No, it was really the very end. They just, they happened to divide those seasons into two, you know, they struck wow. the but it was very late. It was a really, really, really uh, well-established, world-renowned production. Right. Already. So right. stepping into a society that's already in place, and, and, I, and I made a few glaring missteps one of which was I behaved like what I was, which was a 40-year-old guy who'd been told since he was 17 years old that every single job I got was the one that was going to change my life. And when they all said to me, you know, this is going to change your life, I was kind of like, yeah, 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 whatever. You know, let's just, let's just do our day's work and get through it and, and, and I'll, I'll be on my way. And they didn't like that very much at all. And in fact, for the first time, they were right. I mean, that job did, you know, uh, 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 it changed, I'm not even going to say that it changed my, my professional experience profoundly, mm -hmm. but it changed my experience walking through the world because I mean, I had not before that, you know, been shouted down on streets in any city on earth. Right. You know, travel to it just wasn't my thing. You know, mm -hmm. you might stop me and say, Hey, are you Evan Handler? You know, I like your stuff, but, um, mm -hmm. uh, in the days leading up to my first episodes of Sex in the City being aired, mm -hmm. so some months after I'd already been hired, mm -hmm. I had my first dates with the woman who's now my wife. And uh, in fact, the very first few hours we spent together in Central Park. And by the time we actually went on our first official date when I flew back to New York to see her, mm -hmm. uh, the first couple of episodes had aired. Mm -hmm. and we went to dinner near Lincoln Center and we walked to 45th Street to see a play. Mm -hmm. And that 30 block walk was one of the more surreal experiences that I'd ever had. I mean, I was already 40 years old. Uh, I was with a woman that I already knew from just a few hours we'd spent together several weeks earlier, was very different than most of the women I'd been involved with. And that I had very strong inklings. There was the potential for something different and, and better with mm -hmm. and we couldn't make our way through times square because i was being surrounded wow by every <laughs> to 35 year old woman wow me from across times square screaming oh my god harry we love you we love you. And <laughs> pictures taken and 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 i was having these multiple experiences at once of well this is you know this is enjoyable you know um I'm with a woman who I feel very differently about than anyone I've, you know, been on the cusp of getting involved with before. Uh -huh. um, feeling like two simultaneous incompatible fantasies are occurring. <laughs> wondering if I could turn to her and say, like, could we pick this up again in six months or so? And also knowing that whatever experience she was having of our first date had to be terribly colored and influenced mm -hmm. by what she was seeing how people were responding to me and her mm. not knowing that this has never happened before through my 40 uh -huh. years of life. This is, this is like the first instance of this. 
Mm-hmm. Yet she's having the experience of walking down the street with someone who to her seems world famous. Right. So it was a very, very uh, 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 colored courtship. So you, you had to have the moment, as you started to say, where you thought, oh my God, I'm going to be, mo- I can be the sex god of, of you know, I can have anyone, I, I can do whatever I, but you didn't make that choice, did you? No, no, I didn't. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I was not unconflicted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, that's the difference between something like ha- that happening to you, you know, I mean, hopefully people won't take this the wrong way. I mean, I'm, 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 uh, I mean to mock myself, but you know, mm-hmm. when that happened at 40 years old, mm-hmm. uh, uh, my experience of, what are we talking about? We're talking about 17 to 27 to 30s. We're talking about 23 years already mm-hmm. of working as a professional as a some degree of adult. Mm-hmm. Uh, my experience for most of those 27 years mm-hmm. was that I was being deprived of something that was my due. When it happened at 40, I was clear that that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. So if it had happened, you know, anytime much earlier, it, it would have been received very differently. Mm-hmm. At 40 years old, I was able to see, oh, this is like a toy that I can now play with mm-hmm. that has no bearing on what I deserve. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like a light switch that got turned on all of a sudden. You know, suddenly, suddenly they shined the light on me. And I mean, you know, it was very clear to me, women who suddenly came up to me in adoring fashion, who, who, who would have treated me harshly if I had dared to approach them in a bar, you know, the week before. I, it, was, it was very clear to me where it was and what it was about. And, and um, it, I'm not saying it wasn't enjoyable. It, it, mm-hmm. was, it, was a, it was a fascinating toy to play with and experiment with, but it, it was received differently at 40 years old than it would have been at uh, 27 or mm-hmm. much less 22. Mm-hmm. And then I imagine that continued in a different, uh, Californication, which for me, Runkle, forget about it. Um, it's, it's, you had a pretty, that was a, I miss that show a lot. That was a wild show and you did some wild things. And um, I would imagine that attracted a different kind of woman still. <laughs> um, Californication was really interesting in comparison and sh- you know pretty sharp on the heels of Sex and the City. I did mm-hmm. another show in between called Hot Properties, which you know didn't uh, uh, come off very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so Californication, uh, you know, I was in on the ground floor. I was one of the originals and the creators of it. So we did this pilot together. David and I got along well. We said, well, that was fun, but where could you possibly take it from here? So when it got picked up, it was like, oh, cool, let's see. Tom Capano's wrote what I think is one of the more perfect seasons of television ever. Fantastic. The first season of Californication. Mm-hmm. But then even in later seasons, it developed into much more of the uh, Hank and Charlie show. You know, it really was... David Duchovny's show and and that character, but somewhere toward the third or fourth season, uh, it became a lot more of a duo mm-hmm. um, from from the ensemble that it was. Right, and and so that was something great as well mm-hmm. for me to experience anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 more than anything else, um, you know, I really do see Californication as being a kind of when I in my own estimation, Mm -hmm. 
woke up and emerged as an actor because mm -hmm. the stuff that I was given to do was so overwhelmingly intimidating and required such an abandonment of inhibition. Okay, so do you have that in real? So I want to ask because you were doing crazy ass shit. It, it, was it easy for you? Was it hard for you? Was it challenging? No, and I think, you know, I think the biggest, you know, my own self-criticism as an actor is, is you know, um, it's never, I've, I've never been all that uninhibited. It's never been easy for me to get past that stuff. So, mm -hmm. so if I were to critique, you know, a lot of my earlier work, pre-Sex in the City, mm -hmm. I, I, to me, to me, I would, I would say that's a kind of like stiff guy who doesn't really know how to use his body and who, you know, may be perfectly capable and even winning in certain roles has real limitations and whatever. So um, thankfully, I had to get naked in Sex in the City and do some some stuff there as well. And mm -hmm. Californication, no, I mean, I really remember very well. It was very early, and it was me and the crew left alone at about 2 a.m. where uh -huh. I had to film that masturbation montage. Uh, <laughs> Charlie Runkle, uh, uh, who, who gets caught, you know, masturbating everywhere in his office um, from security cameras. Yeah. Yes. You know, but that quickly became, you know, pretty much five to seven fictional comedic orgasms per episode um, because no matter, no matter how people perceived that show, David kind of got naked and had a sex scene once at the beginning of the season. And then it was pretty much Evan and Charlie, you know, doing, doing, doing the rest of that. Right. Season. And it was all sexual stuff that, you know, the basis of which was humiliation. It was all humiliation humor for Charlie Runkle. So I was forced <laughs> to, to become comfortable with that. And I, I feel very proud of that stuff. And I, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I, I, I feel like, um, I don't think there's any role that, you know, nobody else could have played, but I think I grabbed hold of that and, 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 mm -hmm. you know, brought some life to it in a way that few others could have and, and, um, uh, felt proud of it. And, and, um, if I have any frustration since, you know, I, I, I would have wished that that turned into, uh, more immediately afterward and, mm -hmm. and, and people could have uh, uh, seen me as capable of, of of playing the central role in in, in shows afterward. Mm -hmm. um, I think I was uh, largely thrown back into the the pile of actors who auditioned. You know, that's that's uh, really. How yeah. how about like? Did you did you have to audition for Dershowitz? You did. I wanted to audition for Barry Shrek, but was told no. Wow. And I wow. probably only got that role because I put on the wig that I wore for Larry Fine to go to the audition. You looked like like Larry Fine. <laughs> yes, you had that look. No, you did look like Dershowitz, but Dershowitz looked like Larry Fine. I mean, that hair was kind of um, Larry Fine-ish, but so how was doing how was doing the three stooges for you was that sorry that's something else that happened in the late 90s during that period of it's like you know yes so back to back i did get to do that three stooges which was kind of a coup because you know to play to play to play i mean those kinds of biopic movies don't happen on network television anymore it was for abc they more happen on cable now but right to 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 be welcomed into that niche of kind of like Rec recognizable actors mm -hmm. playing leading roles in these movies or miniseries, mm -hmm. you know, which now I've done on Too Big to Fail and People versus O.J. Simpson and Fosse Verdon, um, meant a lot to me. Mm -hmm. And and 
you know, increased some visibility at that time anyway. So, so yeah. And, and also some great friendships from that. I mean, we went to Australia for two months and, and, uh, uh, didn't stop doing these silly, uh, three stooges routines with each other and, and, uh, uh, have remained, um, you know, friends since then. That's so great. The people versus OJ may be for me, one of the best, whatever you call them that, that ever was incredible, incredible project. I mean, doing it, look, any of these things, you see one script, if you see a whole script, mm -hmm. you know, you see the pages that you use to audition, then right. you see a script. And I think the big question when we, you know, we're all in separate places, but you hear this cast of like John Travolta and, and, um, you know, Nathan Lane and, uh, I mean, I'm going to blank on all kinds of names now, but, um, um, I, I saw, I, 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 um, I Johnny Crocker and I'm just totally spacing out. Um, Johnny Britton again, um, David Schwimmer, uh, mm -hmm. uh, my co-star in Six Degrees of Separation, my God. Angela Bassett's husband, come on, come on, help me out. Um, just blanking on a name. Courtney yes. Vance. Court, Courtney Vance. Thank you. Thank you. Courtney Vance was who I was trying to think of. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, and and Sterling Brown, who was not known at the time. Right. And he was fantastic in that. Sarah Paulson. And what's her name? Sarah Paulson was right. also brilliant. And reading this and you're going, well, what is this going to be? Is this going to really work? Mm. Or is this going to be some kind of like, Poseidon Adventure, Towering Inferno camp classic because <laughs> it, it was writing this style of like satire, but serious. And, and mm. you, know, you just didn't know, but, but I, you know, for, for, I agree with you. I mean, I think it became really quite a, quite a perfectly realized mm -hmm. amalgamation of, of all those things. And, and as with many things in my life, I'm just sorry, I didn't kind of seize hold uh, more of the people I was around and, I mean, John Singleton directed one of those episodes and I just kind of treated him as the guy who was there that week to do the job together as opposed to gushing and telling him, you know, I've seen your films and I just found it amazing and I'd love mm -hmm. to talk with you. And, and then, you know, he passed away not long after that. And, and, and I later learned what a mentor he'd been to so many people. And, and um, so that kind of what I have always seen as respectful professional distance that I've mm. kept people, uh, uh, I wish I could go back and do over in certain instances. Wow. How about, had you ever met Hal Prince before you were playing him in, in Bossy Bird? No, I hadn't. And I, and I reached out to him before learning that they were generally discouraging that. And I spent, uh, I had one of like the, the, the golden days of my life with, with Hal Prince. I, I, I was invited to his office where we spent a couple of solid hours talking and I read his book before I did. And mm -hmm. I made a list of the 25 or 30 people in his book that had also been influential in my life and the mm -hmm. way that, uh, you know, I told him, I mean, our paths wouldn't have crossed because I just, I never did musicals, you know, mm -hmm. for whatever reason, growing up as the kid who, you know, was embarrassed to sing. I just mm -hmm. never did that. You know, and so when I was at Juilliard, even, you know, I didn't go see on the 20th century. I didn't go see, you know, I did see Pippin when I was in high school. I didn't go see, you know, his shows. I didn't go see Candide. I didn't, mm -hmm. I was going to see like, I would, I saw three dress rehearsals of Al Pacino do the basic training of Pablo Hummel before it opened. I saw Kevin Klein do Loose Ends, Michael Weller's play at Circle in the Square three times. Mm -hmm. I saw Jason Robards do Touch of the Poet three times. I was all in this head of, like dramatic Broadway actor, mm. um, 
you know, two sort of sarcastic leading man, you know, and so I didn't know any of his work whatsoever. And in wow. fact, I, I sat with him in his office and said, you know, I've never seen one of your productions, you know, and wow. he said, he said, and I bet you've never, I bet you've never seen, I bet you've never seen Phantom, have you? And I said, no, I haven't. He said, that's because you're a snob, but that's all right. <laughs> and we had this great time and we talked a lot about a guy named Bob Calfin who ran the Chelsea Theater Center and gave me my first unpaid internship, wow. uh, which is, you know, a very loaded position nowadays. Mm -hmm. It's been revealed as a position of privilege, rightfully so. Mm -hmm. um, but I worked for a year unpaid at Chelsea Theater Center and auditioned for their plays and, and got cast in them. Mm -hmm. And he had also been the producer of Candide. That, 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 and he said, well, I'm going to see a play that he directed tonight. And I said, I didn't even know he had anything on in New York. Would you like to come? So we spent an hour, we spent two hours together in his office. Wow. We had dinner together at his favorite restaurant by Lincoln Center. We went to the theater together. Wow. We spent some weeks going back and forth on how to get together again. And then I and heard he that died. he had died. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, it was a great unrequited love mm -hmm. uh, relationship. We had, we had one first date. And mm -hmm. I think, I mean, it meant so much to me to mm -hmm. be accepted by him. You know, he, he told me that uh, uh, his biggest impression before meeting me was that everybody he mentioned my name to said, you know, oh, that's a terrific actor. That's a terrific actor is going to play you. And I think I kind of, you know, won an allegiance with him by demonstrating mm -hmm. to him the number of people we had in common. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we had a great time, you know, and, and uh, uh, so it was very sad to lose him. Obviously, people had much greater bonds to him than I did. Mm -hmm. uh, there was just a real irony in that we got, we, we, we had that one afternoon and night of hanging out and, and, and that was that. Did you ever hear from Daisy, his daughter, about your performance? Did, do you know anything about how? Well, I mean, I, I, I reached out to him through Daisy, partly. Mm -hmm. So I knew Daisy, you know, from just being around the block from years and years earlier. So, mm -hmm. so we were connected on Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I don't. I don't know that she. I, I don't remember. I don't remember any commentary about it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think I. Heard, I didn't hear from Hal saying you know uh, anything like that. But I didn't expect that. We, we were mm -hmm. talking about getting together again. I had to tell Hal over and over again. All I said to Hal was, you know, listen, Hal, you know, your biggest disappointment when you watch this series is going to be that is not about Hal Prince, you know, I'm not in it that much, you know, it's, it's, it's the story of Bob. Right. But, I mean, he knew Bob. So we talked a lot about Bob Fosse. I knew Bob Fosse as the guy who did all that jazz and, and, oh, yeah. and these, mm -hmm. you know, the, the kinds of things that a guy like me would have been attracted to as a teenager who wanted mm -hmm. to get into that business and mm -hmm. tell those kinds of dark self-referential, self-critical stories. Mm -hmm. Um, he knew Bob as something else. He knew Bob as a choreographer who mm -hmm. became a director, who mm -hmm. became a big star. So Evan, I'm, I'm just looking, like we've been talking for like hours, but I, I so- we have, I'm sure my wife and daughter are really irritated. I'm sure they're thrilled that they've had to be quiet all this time. That's what I've been doing through this pandemic. It's, it's uh, you know, I've been the house husband largely. I, I, I you know, I, you're a cook. You cook, right? yeah. My wife is working full time online. My wife is a my wife is a college chemistry professor. Mm -hmm. and she's doing her job online. My daughter goes to school online, mm -hmm. and so I, you know, do a lot of the uh, cooking and and keeping things together around the house. 
you're you're quite a cook from what I I remember seeing things on Facebook. Like not you yeah, you we can whip up a few things here. Yeah. Yeah. And and you had a, I like that you ha, you have a very well stocked kitchen as I seem to recall. You have many ingredients in your home at all times so that you prepare photos of our pasta drawer because we have you know uh, uh, it used to be floor to ceiling the different shapes and and and, and, and backlog of pastas we, we, we down we downsized a bit and put it in a, in a very deep pull-out drawer so Evan if 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 you could do one role I have two questions is there anything that you've played to date that is the most like you of all the, the roles that you've had? Uh, I, I, I don't know how, I don't know how to answer that. Well, maybe there isn't, maybe there isn't one that is like you. Album. I mean, I think, you know, I think, mm -hmm. uh, I think there's aspects of me that are Harry Goldenblatt. There's aspects of me that were shrug, mm -hmm. like, you know, um, mm -hmm. there's aspects that, you know, probably are like, uh, uh, Doug, the lawyer from West Wing, where everybody had to say, I think what Doug means is <laughs> he couldn't express himself diplomatically. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's, you know, you, you try to use slices of yourself from, um, mm -hmm. I think, yeah. Is there, is there a stage role that you've coveted throughout well, your life? You know, there was a period when I was trying to work, start to work in Europe and work in London and, and periods where I thought, well, Am I am I able at this moment to be able to get convince anybody to build something around me? I mean, mm -hmm. the people that I met in London were convinced that the way to to do things in London would be because I was known from two television shows would mm -hmm. be to propose a production that I wanted someone to build around me. I never really bought that that would fly, mm -hmm. but at that time, the first thing I thought of was, well, years ago I got offered to do one of the more recent productions, and this is before the most recent successful Broadway one, uh, uh, at the Public Theater of of um. Uh, Normal Heart, Larry Kramer's play Normal Heart. Mm -hmm. And that play is very meaningful to me because I knew Larry. Larry approached me based on my illness history. Wow. She was diagnosed and, 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 and was very terrified and came to me wanting to know how to deal with doctors and what his descent into the medical world was going to be like. And wow. I'm a little embarrassed to say I didn't see the original production. I went home and read it after that. Mm -hmm. And I thought, good God, this, I mean, when I read that play, I thought this is, this man is a heroic figure who, who mm -hmm. has outlined his history of heroism mm -hmm. in his community. Mm -hmm. And he's coming to me for advice and guidance. I was really blown away by that. Mm -hmm. And when they did the production at the public, apparently Larry said, Evan Handler is the guy you have to get, sorry, I'm sorry. He said, you have to get Tom Cruise. That's the only person I'll approve. And when they said, Larry, that's completely unrealistic. Tom Cruise is not going to come. He said, then it has to be Evan Handler. And I you know, was so moved by that. Although I was terrified of the role, actually. You know, never saw a production of the play, and I would read it, and I'd go, I don't quite know how to do this without just being a shrieking, uh, 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 shrieking angry person from, from A to A to Z. Um, but I, it was offered to me just as me and my new wife had already planned to move to Los Angeles. Like everything was in place. We would have had to cancel the move and stay in New York and, and, I, and I turned it down. Mm -hmm. So when I was thinking of what I could pitch in London, I, I, I did say to, to the agents there, to some theaters, I said, well, what would you think about the normal heart? I mean, it was done very successfully a few years ago on Broadway. Mm -hmm. um, sorry to say, you know, look, I would have loved to have been involved in that production. And mm -hmm. I was very jealous of, look, Joe Mantello, mm -hmm 
we were going in and out of a room auditioning for the role he played in Angels in America. And wow. there's no one else who should have played that role other than Joe Mantella. Mm -hmm. And when he did Normal Heart so successfully, I was, I was envious. But when they did the first reading, I was offered if I wanted to fly to New York to do the smallest role. And I, and I didn't do it. And, and, and uh, 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 there are certain things you should push yourself to do, even if you feel you're not being given as much to do in it as you think you should. So I, I have, I've bemoaned my lack of involvement with that very important play, because also as I read it, one of the characters in it, the, the, the doctor in the wheelchair mm -hmm. is actually a doctor that I knew in New York. Wow. Who would cover, who would cover for my hematologist. So she was someone that I existed with as a patient. Wow. So, um, that never got off the ground. People didn't respond. Mm. I probably didn't push it as aggressively and ambitiously as I should have. Mm. And I just saw online, it's scheduled now for January, 2021 at the National Theater in London is Larry Kramer's Normal Heart. Wow. Cast and put together. And it's a role that I, I, I believe I'm, I'm too, I, it, you know, I've aged out. You know, it's written for a 30, 35 year old guy. I probably could have done it right up until I was 50. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, 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 maybe, maybe even, maybe even into my fifties, but it's, you know, that's, uh, it, it puts, it, it's not a role for a guy of my age, ideally. So, so yes, I, I'm sorry that I never played that role. Okay. So that's two questions you answered. Any regrets and any role you'd like to play, but okay. So, but there's a whole big future out there and you are who you are. I mean, any classics, anything that, that, that you could conceivably do well, in the future? Uh, I've been talking for the last few years uh, to, to uh, uh, um, um, the artistic director of the Old Globe in, in, uh, in, in San Diego um, uh, about doing something. And they've come my way a couple of times, but they haven't been times that I could do it. But yeah, I mean, look, I'd like to play Richard III, which I'm like probably just about too old for anyway now. But generally, people climb the ladder of these things and don't, you know, start off with one of the uh, heaviest, hardest hitting things. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's an aspect of things that I was trained to do, but didn't end up doing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I would like to do stuff like that. I would. And yeah, may still. Let's see. Did you ever consider, have you considered writing something for, like a vehicle for yourself for TV or anything like that? Is that... Um, Yes, but I, I really don't consider myself, uh, uh, I'm certainly not an experienced script writer, you know, mm -hmm. so I don't, I did a screenplay adaptation of Time on Fire that came out pretty well and mm -hmm. was welcomed uh, in certain places, but never produced. Um, but I don't consider myself primarily that, so mm -hmm. uh, I haven't done that. I think about it sometimes, but I don't know that that's um, my forte to that extent. That I'm, I'm still seeing you as that that leading role in that television show that should have come after. Look, I have a high school friend who became a successful screenwriter. He 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 was the original writer on Ronin, which then David Mamet rewrote, and and um, uh, uh, but he 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 designed before Quibi existed. Mm -hmm. He 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 started pitching his idea for uh, a ten minute a ten minute series. Sorry, ten minute installment series. Wow. Um, which then he turned into more of a series or a, even a screenplay that I thought was terrific. Um, that told the story of, uh, of a, a, a data analyst, mm -hmm. um, you know, who comes across something he shouldn't. 
um, and and gets uh, 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 kind of the unluckiest guy to have to physically fight for himself, mm -hmm. uh, spends a night in a building besieged by attackers mm -hmm. who are coming at him only because of whatever he stumbled upon mm -hmm. and, and who, 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 whose only salvation would be to get the information out to other people. Mm -hmm. um, that I thought was terrific that, that got pitched around a bit. So yeah, would I like to uh, hold the center of things like that? Absolutely. Would I like to play uh, uh, any number of um, uh, 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 jaded, gone to seed uh, lawyers or prosecutors? Yeah, but you know, I, I, I've had a weird, you know, I've looked much younger than I, than I am for most of my life mm -hmm. and probably still have some time because of the shaved head to come into uh, the next age range that I'm going to play. So um, I'm, I'm not despairing about, about uh, uh, anything. Um, I think, I think there'll be lots of opportunities to come. I'm sure there'll be lots of opportunities to come. Okay. So last question, because I just happened to see it in the comments. Tony wants to know, since you're not watching TV, what are you reading these days? You reading something? Mm, I do watch some TV. Oh, I, I just, oh you I, just don't watch the news. You just don't watch the news. Oh no, I do watch television. I don't watch a lot. But no, I haven't watched television news in eons and eons and eons. I, I took you know MSNBC, CNN, all network, any 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 television news source has not been my source of news for years. Okay, so what are you binging? What have you binged that you have you seen Queen's Gambit yet? By the way, I just started watching some of it last night. You know, mm -hmm. the the problem is we don't spend a lot of time watching television, and we have a thirteen year old kid, mm -hmm. so a lot of it gets geared toward that. Uh, we just watched the full. The full season of the haunting of, uh, uh, not the haunting of Hill House, but the haunting of something Manor. It's a, which it's, is it's like a, another version of. Is that the one that's the, the other? Of Hill House was the first season, right? An anthology series, and so we watched mm -hmm. the second season. Um, so a lot of it's geared toward what can we all watch together. Mm -hmm. um, I did spend a while late at night, some weeks ago, watching some of the first three seasons or so of uh, Call My Agent, is a French series. I've heard wonderful things about that. Very I haven't good. seen it. Very good. Um, but you know, my wife also falls to sleep very, very, very early. So our, our one hour of watching after our daughter, and our daughter doesn't go to sleep so early anymore. So it used to be mm -hmm. one hour of our watching at night before we fell asleep. So we had watched a lot of Homeland, but we haven't watched mm -hmm. the most recent series. But um, Better Call Saul was huge on my list. Mm -hmm. but I've fallen behind on all these things. The Crown mm -hmm. we had started. Mm -hmm. um, but more recently, it's been harder to do that stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm even more behind on, on a lot of them. Well, Evan, um, thank you so much for doing this. And I'm glad that we've come to here because I'm in a much more serene and um, sane place than I was about an hour ago when I wanted to jump out my window. Um, but I, um, I appreciate your, your perspective and your willingness to talk to me about it. And I- Pop your bubble. That's, uh, that's pretty much what I've been known for for a lot of my life. For what? Oh, popping the bubble? Pop your bubble, yeah, yeah. Well, well, I hope that I hope that things become a lot more optimistic than you think they would. I, I, I hope I hope there's some hope out there for us. And um, I think there's a lot of work to do, and and a lot of people really, really, really did it through this election season, and hopefully uh, uh, that will be continued. Um, and, I, I think I think one thing, if you and that's sparking on it. The activism that's come out of this, um, more people voted in this election than have ever voted before. Joe Biden has gotten more votes than any president in the history of our country. 
that's that's exciting to me. That's a hopeful sign. And I think the way we bluers have united is a hopeful thing. I think people are more willing. Look, a lot of people were getting out there and they were demonstrating in the middle of COVID. It was my daughter was in the middle of it in New York. I mean, it was scary to me, but um, well, it's also really exciting that, um, well, you have to take it too, is a lot of the most progressive uh, office holders in Congress got reelected. Mm -hmm. I think any of the new candidates who were very progressive got kind of blown away. Um, so, you know, look, we live in a very, uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a in a not terribly liberal nation, if you're going to take it as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, uh, accomplishing everything will require a lot of compromise. Um, I think the danger of insisting upon very rapid change is that um, um, the people who, when it's not accomplished or the people who get left out, uh, fall prey to the kind of um, uh, uh, populist regressive appeals. But well, anyway, I don't want to bring you down again. Before here I go. I'm, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna end on um, that. You have a beautiful family. I'm, I'm glad that you're that you're home safe and that your daughter's doing school from home and will safely. And we didn't, what I didn't quite get to when we touched on it before, when we talked about my parents and my upbringing, you know, I have felt so grateful through this period as I've seen so many talking about their horrible holiday gatherings mm -hmm. and the parents who've been lost to mm -hmm. Fox News. You know, I don't have any, I, you know, I have, I have fantastically uh, liberal progressive parents who mm -hmm. made sure to vote in the state of North Carolina and, and who um, uh, brought me up to understand um, humanism and, and a humanist outlook on, 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 on life. And, and I'm very, very, very grateful for that and that I don't have these uh, horrible, treacherous, dreaded family gatherings where I have to confront what so many other people do. Well, sadly, no one, not too many people will be confronting family gatherings, period. Um, I'll probably be spending Thanksgiving alone in my house. Well, maybe in my son's backyard, but yeah, holidays are going to be very different this year. Yeah, that's because you're living the way you are. There are a lot of mm -hmm. a lot a lot of people are going to get together for Thanksgiving, and uh, uh, there'll be a lot of suffering afterward as as a result. Well, I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving. It's coming thank upon us, and thank you so much, Evan. And please thank your your beautiful family for putting up with this for so long. But it was wonderful to speak to you as always, and um, I wish you good health. Thank you. All right. Take care, Evan. Bye-bye. Thank you.